Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined, as always, by uh, Britain's best guitar player, uh, Eric Clapton. Uh, I take that back. Though you do look like Eric Clapton a bit today, and I don't know what it is, Jason Johnston Yellen. I think it's the red eye in from Seattle that has helped me look like Eric Clapton this day. All right. The red eye. Just Are you talking about like the young, hip Eric Clapton? Are you talking the old, like, dec- I could tell by you, your smile I'll exactly let you do the math. which one I'll just you're let referring you do the math. to. <laughs> <laughs> Gray haired, wrinkly, getting warmer. stubbly getting warmer. Eric Clapton. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll that's, that's good. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> good to be here. Always a pleasure. Uh, so how many how many hours of sleep are you working on uh, right now? <laughs> I don't know. I'd see modern aircraft. Who thought it was a good idea to have people sit on ironing boards? <laughs> like it's it's like a it's like an unopened ironing board. I think it every time I sit in these modern seats, I'm like, yeah, those old seats, far too cushiony. You know, your butt would hurt after four hours. Let's cut that down. Let's get a sore butt after 40 minutes. So Let's do it that way. Is, is this a complaint of someone who of someone who just rides in airplanes or is this a complaint from a tall person? Like, is this a tall oh. person's complaint? No. You know, this, this so? is a no. This is okay. See, the next time you stay in a hotel, just get comfy on the ironing board and just <laughs> tell me how it feels. But but I'm thinking about how your legs fit in. Bet- you know, when you sit down because you've got longer legs, and your knees are going to get close to the chair in front of you, so you kind of push back a bit harder against the chair. So I'm not. In, I'm not defending airplane chairs here. I understand they're uncomfortable. My question is, I wonder if you feel it a bit more just just being a, a bit lankier than than others. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think so. I think no matter what height you are, I think the seats are just wildly uncomfortable. But, yeah. and here's where I'm going to take it up a notch. All right. The same is true for first class. First class isn't as comfortable as it used to be no, either. No, it's, it's not. It's not. Well, right? first class... Those seats are like the old seats. First class domestic within the U.S. Oh, hopeless. Now, not worth your time. Granted, I have never flown first class internationally, but I've seen how they live. Really? I never have. It's so expensive. Oh, I don't have... I've done it, I've done it several Shut times. Shut up. How do you do this, <laughs> Mr. Disposable Cash? What's going on mm. here? I don't use all of my miles to take my family on vacation. I use um. all of my miles to upgrade myself. <laughs> there you go. And that's, that's it. And I, and I tell my family, no, I'm not a member of any frequent flyer programs. That would make sense, wouldn't it? I should do that. You are correct. Uh, and now I know why you never let tomorrow listen to our, our podcast, our podcast. Or why we never fly together, because I'm always at the front of the plane. <laughs> anyway, anyway, yes, yeah, so, so for the listeners, I am just back from a road trip across the United States. I took my two boys and we drove from the, the eastern coastal state of Virginia 
and we drove 3,200 miles Amazing. to the western coastal state of Washington and, and made it all the way to Seattle. And, <laughs> and that's where we flew home from last evening. And I, I kept saying to people, we did a, a two-week tour of the United States in six days. And Amazing. Regrets, I've got a few. Um, oh. Spent a wonderful six hours at Yellowstone. That, those were six hours very well spent. Okay. Spent an incredible one hour at Mount Rushmore. That was that was a good hour, solid mm-hmm. hour. Mm-hmm. Tell you what's funny about Mount Rushmore. So many people have said, you know, when you get there, it's smaller than you imagine. Yeah. And I've heard so many people say that. That when I got there, it was bigger than I thought it was going to be. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the other, you know, you can always hype something up and then you're let down. But this is, you're expecting the worst. and It's not as bad. I like that. Yeah, this was this was under-promised and over-delivered. There you go. So, there you go. yeah, I looked at it. I was like, that's all right. Uh, I tell you, though, see, as you're looking at, um, what's his name? Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt? Yeah. Is that Roosevelt. a name? Roosevelt. Is that a real thing? Yeah, Roosevelt. And, and Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. They kind of, they kind of, they're on their kind of 90 degrees to one another, maybe less than 90 degrees oh, they're looking to away one from another. one another, yeah. Well, it, it looked, you're, I'm just waiting on them leaning in and kissing. Like they're so, oh, they're, they're just they're so close. there. Oh, oh, I thought yeah. they were looking away from, no, they're about yeah, it's to like kiss. like they're whispering sweet nothings to each other, yeah. Well, they did say Abraham be... Lincoln was, uh, was, uh, Closeted. Did you know that? Really? Yeah. I yeah. Did not a bit know that. of. I don't know how valid this is, but this is you know one of one of the rumors that you hear over the years. Oh boy, yeah. oh yeah. boy. Bit like Eric Clapton being high when his child had an accident. I wasn't trying to put my fingers at you, Jason, by making the wow. Eric Clapton statement. But yeah, but wow. similar to that. Or, but but I think the Abraham Lincoln one might be more true than the Eric Clapton one. Or the ghost in the corner and three men and a little lady. Or three men and a baby. Three men and a baby. Yeah, he was there with a gun. <laughs> he was there with a or gun. The hanging, the hanging Munchkin in the Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. That's right. Like none, none of those things are true. But maybe the Abraham Lincoln thing is. I, I don't think any of those. It's made Abraham Lincoln gayer than he's ever been, which is fantastic. <laughs> how did we get? How did we ever get anywhere? How did this happen? Uh-huh. And then just to just to close close this out, we're not done. Uh, oh, we're done talking about Abraham Lincoln potentially being a homosexual. Only because I've never heard it, and I really don't feel like the evidence is there for us to be making this claim on our whiskey podcast. But, but you know, if it's ever proven to be correct, you heard it here first, listeners. Um, yeah, I I had the one hundredth meeting of my my whiskey society, my Palouse Whiskey Society. Uh, on mm-hmm. the evening of August twenty, and that was that was a jolly, jolly good time. That was ten exquisite pours, and yeah, I, I'm not going to say too much because we do like to keep the society a wee bit on the on the DL. Yeah. But but a bonus pour mm-hmm. was an upcoming single cast nation collaboration. And we will have more information on that collaboration. I, I like saying that. I like the way those words sound. We'll have more information on that future collaboration in a future episode. 
I thought you were going to say we'll have more information on the future collaboration in the state of a nation email. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Oh, that's that's great. I uh, the the potential collaboration is escaping my brain right now, but that's just because uh, I'm old. We just talked about it before we hit the record button. It's the one that you are thinking of. He said, trying to cover your tracks. Yep. Yep. Hundred <laughs> percent. So, so on today's episode. Yes. Yeah. On, on yes. today's episode. So Wink. You and you and I have been talking about trying to bring in our dear Jess a bit more, our our wonderful mm-hmm. Elijah a bit more into mm. the podcast. Speaking of whom, yeah. he came across the good state of Washington to attend the hundredth meeting of the society. And he brought some drams to share as well. He told me he was going to be, he was going to be seeing you. And I said, hug him hard, hug him like you mean it. Oh, that's what he was doing. Okay. That makes much more sense. Okay. <laughs> he said, I'm going to see much Jason later this afternoon. I said, hug him hard, <laughs> hug him like you mean it. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so we've been wanting to bring in uh, Jess and Elijah a bit more into the podcast and your trip out to Washington was the perfect excuse to to bring Jess into this conversation with uh, Connell McKenzie and Alex Bruce of Ardna Merkin and and she was a lovely addition she brought some great insight to the conversation it was it was really nice to have her there with us well and that was you know that was certainly the hope when which, you bring which is not yeah. a surprise. I need to put that out there. I, as I, as I was coming out of my mouth, I I think it, I almost sounded as if I was surprised. I was not surprised. I was just pleased by it and wanted to discuss it. Continue. I'm sorry to, to step over you. As you and I have been very open about in the podcast, being a two man show mm-hmm. for a long time, mm-hmm. even opening the company up to very good people who we know will do tremendous, tremendous work is not easy. No, no. Right? You you have to kind of say, okay, this is a point at which another person can come in and they too can make this their own. And in expanding the podcast a bit, it made me think back to the first time one of us, and I think it was probably you, Mm -hmm. um, but I, I might be misremembering, but one of us went off and did an interview by themselves. It was me with Richard Urquhart of Gordon McPhail. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I remember that. I wasn't sure if it was Simon Brooking, actually, because I remember you interviewing Simon Brooking by yourself when you were staying in the same inn. It was the same. You know what this was? So this this is the reason why. This was during mm. the Julio's Go Whiskey weekend. And so mm-hmm. Richard was in town. Simon was in town. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was uh, Hans Afringa was in town, ah. right? It, it was it was just everybody was was there, and and so yeah. So both of those recordings were done solo, yeah. right? And so there was that feeling back then, where well, we've always done the interviews together. Mm-hmm. What's going to be different? Not not worse. Just what's going to be different. And then we came to find out you going off and doing a solo interview, me going off and doing a solo interview. It It's kind of fun. It's a little mm-hmm. twist. We mm-hmm. come back and, and we report to the other. And now here's this opportunity 
you partnering with Jess on an interview. Mm-hmm. Okay, what differences will that present? Yeah. And and I'm excited to listen back to this interview, see where it went, mm-hmm. see what mm-hmm. Jess asked that you and I wouldn't. Right. Right? Right. And I think that, you know, that's that's one of the comments I just made the other week, I think, when we, we did the Bill Thomas episode, where I was saying, as much as I was interviewing by myself, I was still thinking, what would Joshua ask at this point? Yeah. And yeah. and what are some of the what are the types of questions Joshua asks? Mm-hmm. Well, now I'm excited to hear what are the types of questions that Jess asks? Where does that go within the conversation? So yeah, I'm excited for this. Yeah. I'm, I'm eager to hear this. Well, I, I definitely had you in my mind with some of my line of questioning, um, touching on some personal aspects of oh. uh, of them, you know, oh. just, just just a wee bit. Eh? As the question was coming out, I said, you know what, this is something Jason might want to know about. So, so yeah, yeah. Jason's nosy enough. <laughs> what would he want to ask at this point? <laughs> what I what I love, um, well, I loved the conversation for for many reasons. First off, this is the second time that uh, Alex Bruce from Arden American is on the podcast. He was on during season two with Charlie McLean when I was at Malt Stock with them back mm-hmm, in 2018. Mm-hmm. And, a solo interview. Uh, Gosh, I've never go. spoken to Alex Bruce. No, you haven't, and you never will. And uh, <laughs> and and what I liked about this was not just getting a chance to talk to to I almost called him Bruce. It's Alex Bruce. He's got two first names. Um, was not just talking with Alex again, but Connell has been a fan of the podcast for a while now, and it was oh, just brilliant. yeah, it was really it was really cool just being able to to talk with someone who had been listening to us for a while, and and when he sent over his audio file, it says "One Nation Under Whiskey Pad Cost." That was that was the <laughs> the title, which is so perfect. Like you know that person is a listener of of the podcast if they say pad cost. Uh, that makes me very yeah, happy. Yeah, very yeah, happy. Yeah, they were they were good. We learned a lot. We learned a, a good deal with them. Cool. Should we jump over? I'm eager to hear this. Yeah, let's do that. When we come out, we have a little bit of news, but then there's some emails that we've been wanting to to bring up. So let let's listen to them and then and then touch on those things. Alex, we we've had you on the podcast before. I think I want to say it was. I want to say it was season two that that we had you. It was it was you and and of course Charlie Charlie McLean, and it was for malt stock. And hopefully, I remember. Yeah, and so hopefully um, our our listeners recall that episode. Uh, you introduced yourself then, uh, but if you wouldn't mind giving our listeners uh, a refresh of of who you are and and what you do with the Delphi and Arden American, and, and then I'd love to hear from Connell as well. Sure, thanks, Joshua. Um, great, great to be on uh, today. So the last time we spoke, uh, we were at Maltstock in the Netherlands. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember what what year was that. See, this is this is what's messing with my head. I, I could have done the research and just gone to the. <laughs> I think, I th- from memory, we had a we had a spirit. We didn't have a whiskey. Alex. While you introduce yourself, I'm going to be doing the uh, the hard work of researching my own work here. 
Fantastic. Now, the only reason I asked, it wasn't just to buy time when I tried to remember who I was. It was um, <laughs> it was more to try and place it in the history of uh, the company. So anyway, um, I joined... Uh, 2018. Back in 2000. It was 2018. It was 2018. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So I joined in 2004, so 14 years prior to that. Um, and in those days, Adelphi was uh, an independent bottler. It had been established by Jamie Walker, my predecessor, mm-hmm. back in 1992. And it was uh, it was very, shall we call niche, I suppose, uh, in terms of independent bottling. Mm-hmm. Only a handful of casks every year, but each one personally selected uh, for its taste by either Jamie previously or myself, yeah. along with um, uh, Charlie as well, Charlie McLean. And... So that, that's what I inherited, and we built it up. Um, we were very lucky to hit the ground running as single malt. The category of single malt really took off in the first decade of this, of this century. Um, and it got to a stage by 2007 that we had booming sales, but already flatlining supply, uh, wow. which has become, you know, obviously quite common nowadays, as well as the prices going up. Um, so, uh, yeah, we had to make a decision. And I vividly remember a, a meeting up here in Ardnamurkin uh, with my fellow directors and owners, basically on what, what direction we take. You know, do we uh, start filling young casks, you know, with spirit, mm-hmm. uh, like other larger independents, or do we potentially buy or build a distillery? Um, and that, we did have a third option, which cropped up later in the afternoon, which was basically to lock lock ourselves in the warehouse and just finish off what we had left in stock. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was quite appealing, I have to say it. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, we did. We ended up deciding to build a distillery uh, here in this lovely remote part of Scotland, uh, the far west, just above the Isle of Mull and just below the, the Isle of Skye. Um, and I'm actually speaking to you from here today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you may hear the background noises of of distillation and casks rattling their way onto trailers to be pulled up the hill to our top warehouse. Um, so yeah, we, we, that's where we got to. We're, we're now, the distillery opened in 2014, um, so we are seven years in mm-hmm. and uh, we are finally uh, selling our own single malt as of the end of last year. Um, and as with all of those changes through the year, the team has expanded uh, and we have sites both here in Andamurkin and down in Fife where we do the bottling and logistics. So uh, a quick question regarding the location of Andamurkin. Seemingly harder to get to Andamurkin than it is to get to Campbelltown. And and I'm wondering why that location, what, what was it logistical? Was, was it you had land there already and it just made sense? Or was there something historical that brought you to that location? So it certainly wasn't logistical, although it was a reinterpretation of logistics, I suppose, at the end of it. It was quite interesting you should bring this up today. Um, there was a message on social media from a lorry driver who has just delivered uh, part of the walling for our new warehouses, which are currently under construction up the hill here. Hmm. And he drove all the way from the south of England in a full Arctic lorry, you know, the full length one. Yeah. And you can see that the mess, the posts he'd been putting on 
had started somewhere down south on what we know as the M6, one of the largest motorways in the country. And he was stuck there for five hours. And oh. yet that paled into insignificance when he finally hit the single track road of Ardnamarkin. And he was, um, yeah, his comments were quite interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, the simple, simple answer is uh, the land around this area is under the same ownership. Uh, ironically, the actual site for the distillery wasn't that ownership, it was a different owner, but it was selected because of the symbiotic relationship that we have now created with our, with our um, fellow owner, you know, our fellow owner mm-hmm. who owns the farm. I think it was, it was good to bring our listeners back up to speed on yourself, up to speed on, on Adelphi and sort of the beginning of our Namurkin. But people, our listeners, haven't before heard from from Connell McKenzie. So, Connell, I wonder if you could introduce yourself, talk a bit about what you do with the Adelphi, and of course with Arden American as well. And hello, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, um, Joshua and Jess. Yes, um, hello everyone. So, my name is Connell McKenzie. I am the sales director for Adelphi and Arden American Distillery. And yeah, I've, I've I've been in the industry now, I suppose. Six, five years, five and a half years, um, but I began my journey here um, three years ago. So, yeah, I, I pretty much manage the sales, um, do a bit of brand ambassadorial work, and yeah, um, select casks with Alex and the team, um, and also uh, help put together um, Arden American batches from September last year. So. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot to do and a lot going on, um, and yeah, very much, uh, very much enjoying every every single bit of it uh, so far. Started my my whiskey journey, I suppose, um, randomly, not in Scotland. Um, I got into the whiskey industry in New Zealand. Uh, I worked for uh, a company called Whiskey Galore, which is a whiskey specialist, retail shop, distributor, importer over there. Yeah. And I uh, worked for My- Michael Fraser Milne and the team over there. Are they the uh, same people that do the the famous blind tasting every year? They have someone blind taste whiskeys and name them out. Is that is that the same whiskey galore? Mm, not sure if they do. I don't know if they do that. Um, but they do, they do hold probably, in my opinion, one of the best whiskey festivals in the world okay. uh, called Dramfest, mm-hmm. um, which is just fantastic. It's one of these sort of biannual um, just events that take place. And it's just it's got everything for me. And, and, and a lot of people in regards to people who make the, the journey um, is testament to how good it is. So actually, the next one's due March 22, but hopefully it can go ahead. Well, it was the last one we went to as well. It was the last one anyone was at, I think. Um, and we all had to make emergency exits back to the UK. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the last time I was on a, on a, on a flight. So, so what brought you down to New Zealand in the first place? It was the last place I could get a visa to go and work and travel. I had done Canada and Australia, and I just thought, I'm just going to just tick New Zealand off the list and just instantly fell in love with the country. And, you know, six years later... And a new addition to my wife and I's family. We had a wee uh, baby daughter born in Christchurch. And 18 months after that, we just felt we needed to get home and, and uh, be with family because all my family are up here. Uh, I live in Nairn now, just outside Inverness, but we're all from the Highlands. So oh, it was okay. just, we had no one really over there. So, 
And so did you meet your wife in New Zealand and then brought her back no. or, or was she from Scotland as well? No, she's, she's from the Highlands too. So we went over together, um, sort of thought we were settling, then had the wee one and then just got instantly homesick the minute the baby came along. So it was, uh, it was time to, to bring her back across to, to the homeland. Okay. So, okay. So you, you left whiskey galore and then you came back and started yeah. with uh, Adelphi Ardnamurkin directly thereafter? Yeah, well, we, one of the brands that we imported um, as uh, in, in New Zealand was Adelphi, uh, amongst many other sort of um, small to medium brands, I suppose. Uh, so I was very familiar with with Adelphi and Ardnamurkin, and I've met Alex a few times. But no, it wasn't as easy as that. I had to uh, I had to play a round of golf in Arasig and uh, beat him to, to, to land the job. Uh, so yeah, no, it wasn't as easy as as that. So no, it was it was good. It was it, it worked out really well. I actually I think I started in July 2018. So I got home in May. So I, I managed to make the most of it. I did a wee sort of cheeky tour around uh, Scotland. So I did the Spirit of Space side. Mm-hmm. I went down to the Camelton Malts Festival and then over for the Vestial, and then and then started in in the, in the July. So yeah, it was. Uh, and I've been here ever since. Been a pain in. Uh, your, your neck ever since, Alex. No <laughs> comment. <laughs> Wise choice. So um, I imagine Jess has, has has a question or two, but you mentioned Jess, if you don't mind, I before I forget because this is this is the thing with turning uh, almost forty eight is you forget things faster than you ever have. You forget them before you finish the thought that you had in the first place. If that makes sense. Anyway. Connell, you had mentioned you're in charge of putting the batches together, and and it got me thinking of Arden American as it sits in the family of other distilleries that had some sort of consultation with with Jim Swan, right? Where it it seems the majority of distilleries in in modern distilling history that have been working with Jim Swan have a very specific um, style of distillation and maturation in place and how they put their batches together or put their whiskeys together. And I feel as if Arden American is, is sort of the odd duck out here compared to the other distilleries because, and you feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that your batches tend to be a marriage of your unpeated spirit in your peated spirit, so you're always running two different styles of spirit, then you marry them in the end to create a mildly peated spirit. Um, and and you don't lean on, or I shouldn't say lean on, but you don't incorporate STR casks into your, into your maturation. And so I'm curious if you could talk about the origins of of, of those thought processes as far as putting batches together and not going with the STR, which seems to be sort of a staple with the, with the Jim Swan distilleries. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the blending team or the, 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 the tasting team just consists of Alex, myself, Graham and Mackay, uh, Jenny Carlson and Antonia Bruce. So it's, we, we sort of put it together. I'll let Alex talk about more, history with with Jim Swan I, I never had the pleasure of, of working with with him um so I'll let Alex touch bases about that but what I can tell you about is when last year when we put it together last summer um 
we we knew we had the the liquid was there. We knew it was it was ready, um, but I don't think. And I I look back and think, well, we must have had some sort of concept on how it was going to look. But the truth is, we didn't even sort of experiment prior, like just putting things together just to see what things looked at. We didn't really. We we knew we identified hot spots and warehouses. We identified unpeated casks. We knew that there was this crazy couple of rows of px casks and stuff like that but i had never actually experimented putting any casks together just as a and i look back and think well, why didn't i do that but we went i i felt we went in going well let's we've got a blank canvas and let's let's go and paint it and we we literally did we locked each other well we locked each other into the warehouses for two weeks um and we just went to went went to work you know and and and, and sampled i can't remember how many hundreds of casks and took them back and, and put things together, and we 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 basically went for that fifty percent um, unpeated, fifty percent peated, which is what we do year on uh, year on year. Which we've got that sort of different profiles to work with. So I think that's a really quite a big advantage. Um, and yeah, just in regards to the STR, we have been fairly traditional. You know, we've filled in in first full bourbon, first full sherry, both PX and Oloroso. Uh, and you know, I think it's it's stood us in good stead. But we're now starting to look at other ways that we can we can we can mix uh, our American up. But we wanted to be fairly traditional from the outset, yeah. um, and I think that's the style we we've gone for. In regards to the peatiness, yes, it comes from our thirty parts per million, um, the six months a year that we do. However, I do genuinely believe, and I'll let Alex probably talk a bit more about this, but the water that we're using to dilute, so we fill it 63.5, that's really gloriously peaty water. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's not that's not the water that's getting cooked up in the stills. That's just a reduction water before we fill into cask. And I, I genuinely do believe that that has um, an effect on, on our spirit and, mm-hmm. and, and everything that's going in. So, yeah, but in, in regards to... to Prior to that, Alex, with with Jim and stuff and STRs, do you want to touch touch uh, touch on that? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I I um, was introduced to Jim, I suppose indirectly from Anthony Wills, uh, Kill Homan, mm-hmm. and Kill Homan hadn't um, it wasn't designed by Jim originally, but he came in very much to help them uh, at the second phase, if you like, yeah, and did a fantastic job um, for them. So I got chatting to him probably late 2009, um, once we decided that this is what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And at the time, he didn't really have any projects apart from, I suppose, Cavalan early doors. Uh, he was he was certainly hopping over there quite regularly. Um, so he was great because he was almost like a blank canvas. He hadn't, even though he had his kind of recipe of how to distill, and that's coming from his chemistry yeah. background because he was very much a chemist. Um, he was still very much open to me, uh, to my input or to our input uh, as a Delphi as well. So the two biggest things he did for us was one, uh, introduce us and hold our hands in terms of working with Forsyths mm-hmm. who you know, manufactured the equipment. Um, so we designed the distillery equipment with the help of Jim. Um, and then the second one was introductions to uh, both Kentucky and to Hareth for casks, for bourbon uh, and okay. um, sherry. 
the bourbon one unfortunately fell through because the company we were introduced to was then bought over by another larger company. Uh, but we, we, we worked our way around that. Um, but we, we did discuss, we discussed SDR casks quite a lot. Uh, I was fairly um, frank with Jim. I said, I don't think this is going to suit what we want to do to Ardemarkin. It's, it's uh, an enhancement to uh, maybe a lighter spirit. It works very well. But when you're trying to allow the environment and the, the weight of your spirit to show itself, you know, uh, uniquely, you don't want to potentially mask it um, sure. in a different way sure, sure. Or, or change it. So, yeah, he, he, he was incredibly useful in terms of design, uh, but he also allowed me to kind of get on with um, chiseling our own little piece of distillation rock, if you like, <laughs> uh, in terms of the way we wanted to go. And Connell mentioned one of the things that we have up here, which is so... Um, special to us, so unique to us, is our water. <clears throat> I mean, it, before it goes through the now uh, required UV filter, mm-hmm. it is literally the colour of, of um, uh, a mahogany table. It, it's dark, peaty water, um, oh. and it has all that flavour sitting there. And and so, uh, just really quickly on that, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, because Connell, you had mentioned that you use that water for... Um, for bringing the ABV down on your whiskeys. So when you say it goes through a UV filter, that just takes away all of the color within the water, but the all the other compounds, it doesn't affect it in any other way? So you need you need by, well, it, huh, ironically, it was, it was European law, so I'm not sure we adhere to those anymore, but I think we do. We have to kind of copy them for a moment. <laughs> um, yeah, you've got to remove a particulates, uh, whatever they're called, and color basically, as far as you can. Um, there is, as far as I'm led to believe, there are no holiday accommodations in this area of West Scotland that actually pass the European testing regime. You just cannot filter that amount of peat out of it. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, you, you still get a lot of flavour, even after it's been through all that filtration. Uh, and you can taste it. If we, I mean, we've been sampling again, uh, what, about three weeks ago, we did another two days in the warehouses, so a year on from the first one. And uh, some of the early, so, sorry, some of the later stuff, some of the young two-year-old, three-year-old uh, spirits and whiskey that we have is you could really taste the water, uh, wow. water's influence in it at that stage. So so what's what's the water bringing? What, what, is it, what is it bringing as far as flavor goes that the spirit itself isn't bringing? Um, I would like to think it's texture, mm-hmm. predominantly. I think there's a lovely oily texture to it, a lovely kind of peaty, oily texture. It it also provides not a peat smoke, obviously, yeah. but a peat flavour to even our unpeated uh, whiskey. So you, uh, what we're finding now is other American matures. You know, we're, what are we seven, just over seven years. We do have this. Um, some of the flavour you can't really put your finger on. You can't go, oh, that's because we're using such and such a yeast or that's because our cut is such, such and such in the, in the um, distillation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something else. And, and I'm sure a lot of that's down to the water and the maturation as well, the climate. Okay, okay. Jess, I realise I'm monopolising all of their time. No, no, no. I'm, I'm actually, I'm really fascinated by the talk of water because it's something that obviously a lot of bottlings that are 
finalised and finished down here in the central belt of Scotland. It's not necessarily something we talk about water like that. Um, and my grandparents have done Harris, and so I know the full traumas of getting into a peat water bath. Uh, it's a very unappealing looking, <laughs> very unappealing looking thing to get into. Even when it's coming at you through a shower, it's pretty disturbing. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if I really think that uh, our water tasted very peaty. But maybe I mean, like that's a totally different landscape. So maybe it was that our peating level on where our house was was not as extreme. I don't, I certainly don't remember there being any filtering requirements. But that's because I think Harris is a bit of a law unto itself. I don't. Not sure whether or not they'd have been in filling uh, filters in the hills where we were, but uh, yeah, it's and I guess that is that's um, an interesting angle as well. Um, it, it's something that I've often thought about when you're filling casks and you're using that water to reduce it, like you say, to bring it down to six to three and a half. So that's an interesting, I guess, unique variable for you guys to be having with your casks um, put on top of you know all the other kind of individual little twists that you've got in the distillery. I'm I'm really intrigued by that. I think, I mean, I'd, I'd love, well, I actually probably wouldn't love, but I'd love to know scientifically what it's actually doing. Hmm. Um, but it's definitely, it is definitely something like that because it's not being replicated uh, elsewhere, even, you know, across the, the water from us here um, at our neighbours. And it was actually the late, uh, the lovely late um, Colin Ross from Ben Nevis when he heard that we were thinking about building a distillery here. Uh, he came up and, and gave me some very, very interesting advice, um, which we actually took on board. Because uh, at the time, we were thinking of building a distillery that was about 90 to 100,000 litres of alcohol per, per annum, which for us was huge yeah. compared to what Adelphi was doing. But he said, that will never work. I mean, you, you, can, you could do what we call cellar door in certainly Australia, I don't know about America, but... Um, you know, you can sell your products to people passing. You'll never get a, a brand you can get behind for export at that level. Uh, and what he meant was that, you know, the, the, the marketing spend, the, the team travel, everything else that's required to build a brand, um, you need a quantity to support that. Yeah. And that quantity is probably north of 250 to 300,000 litres long term. So that, we'd really took that on board and we changed the whole design, you know, um, because of that. But he said, if I was to ever build a distillery myself, um, I would build it in Ardenwerken because of the water. And I kind of thought he's just, you know, just joking. It's, huh. a, it's a nice story. But it's an interesting, it really is interesting to, to know how much it potentially does affect it. It's so interesting that that idea of a visitor centre plays a role in the the overall interest of um, an importer to bring on your, your product. Uh, I, I like that that was brought up in your conversation because, you know, it's something that we, at, at Impact, when I'm wearing my Impact's hat, you often talk about, okay, this, you know, this distillery, what's their visitor center look like? What's their traffic look like, right? Because that, that in the end is, plays a role in the overall uh, brand growth, right? And so it becomes this consideration um, you know, when we hear about distilleries like Pendaren building on two more distilleries to bring in tourists, right? There, there's a few reasons why, you know, one is there's a lot of money in tourism, but two, every person that comes in for a tour and then leaves with a bottle and then shares that bottle with their friend or friends, right? It just helps spread the word. So 
it's, I, I really like that where, who, what was the, the person's name from Ben Nevis again? Colin Ross. Colin Ross. Who sadly is no longer with us. Oh, um, but he was manager at Ben Nevis for decades and reported directly to its Japanese owners okay. for a long time. So, so his point was, if you're, if you're so far away where you can't get the, the visitors, you may as well increase your overall production to make up for that. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think I didn't, we hadn't discussed visitors at that stage. I think, um, I mean, it, it is a point that we do make is that we built the distillery to make whiskey and the visitor center just to allow people to see that. We didn't do it the other way around mm. uh, because there was no point. You know, we, we are as remote as we are. And yet we're absolutely mobbed. We can't cope <laughs> with, really? with the number of visitors. Well, I mean, Connor will tell you, we, 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 did, we offered a, a small, um, well, we offered a, a cask exclusive and it went kind of bananas. What did that look like? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we did a, we just did a hogs. We just identified a nice repeated five-year-old hogs head. Um, and, oh, very good. Still, <laughs> still only tried it in sample format, but we, we, we went out with it a couple of weeks ago and it has just, just gone mad. Um, it's, it's going to sell out today. I think I've just had a, I just saw a message come in there. We're down to eight bottles and you know, it was, it was a hoggy. So I think it was 300 and, 30, 40 bottles. Um, and, you know, you know where we are in Scotland. That's, I mean, and it was in person, one per person, you know, and we're not sending any away. It's just, you've got to come here to, to, to get it. And uh, we've had, there's apparently there's a, a chap on his way up from London as we speak. So I hope he makes it. Amazing. That's absolutely amazing. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's look, good just, you've also, you've, You've also ruined my weekend plans because that's where I was going to this weekend. But <laughs> oh, no. I accidentally ended up in Campbelltown this weekend and it was going to be out of my next weekend. So I still got that much left. Thanks for teasing me. Oh, teasing me still, with your lovely... There's still about eight centimetres in there, Jeff. There you, there you go. How, how do you download things through my computer? Where, where's the cover at the bottom? I just put my glass underneath it. Um, yeah. But no, on a, on a semi-serious point, uh, going back to um, what you were saying about Colin and the rest of it, so a lot of these people who have come up here just to buy this bottle, uh, there was a lady from Wales who came in with her family on Friday who admittedly um, rang ahead a week before, mm-hmm. before she booked accommodation. But she came up for three days. So yes, we benefit from the cask bottling sale, but the local B&B or the hotel, whatever, the restaurant, sure. every, everyone benefits. Um, so yeah, it's been really, really good to see that, that extra... Uh, icing on the cake from from having a visitor experience or yeah center yeah that's that's great um i before i forget connell i wanted to get back to you because you you had touched on you'd used tradition around the idea of setting your batches together right and i'm racking my brain trying to think of other distilleries that six months out of the year run peated, six months out of the year run unpeated, and at the end, pull together a product that is 15 ppm maybe, rather than 30 ppm. And so that sounds, that doesn't sound traditional. And so I'm curious where that, you know, I mean, you you told me where it came from, but I, I guess I'm curious, is there a reason why you don't, go with 15 ppm malt 
for for a style or does does the idea of running unpeated and then running peated just give you the flexibility you need from designing different batches creating you know different single cast programs etc yeah no you're, it's a, that's a great question but i think when i was referring to being traditional i was i was referring to our the casks that we were using in the beginning and what we were filling into we're absolutely not traditional in regards to doing that six month by six months. You're absolutely right. I think I, I love the fact that we do it. It gives us that flexibility, as you said, to be able to, to put, I mean, for example, I'm looking at maybe next year doing just a completely limited batch of peated run, like completely peated mm. and just see what that looks like. You know, we can do, and the complete opposite, unpeated. We could do unpeated bourbon, peated bourbon, unpeated cherry, peated cherry. And, but yeah, for the core, for the core single malt, um, we've, we've got all those different flavors to put together and thankfully they work. And, and that's, that's something that's, for me is really exciting. And the fact that we're just starting now to experiment with other little bits and pieces along the way, it just gives us so much, so many different options. And it's so exciting to watch, watch other Ard the Merkins develop. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's, but yes, traditional in a cask sense to begin with, to figure out how the spirit was gonna go. Um, but yeah, not, not, not traditional in, in, in other ways. Um, I've been I've been sipping the small batch for the U.S. as we've been as we've been talking, and by sipping I mean I have to refill it because um, I've sipped through my first little sample. But it it's it's really it's it's really remarkable and has a has a style all its own. Though I, I've heard some people say, you know, it, it's it's reminiscent. The peat style is reminiscent of of Talisker, where it's, where it's more peppery and earthy. It's not smoky. It's not iodiney, but it's this earthy, peppery quality. And so, is that indicative of the peaty water that you use to bring down the spirit from you know to sixty three point five? Is it indicative of the peat that's being used to to dry the barley? Where do you th- where do you think that? connection is coming or is it just a connection in someone's head <laughs> yeah very good question it's interesting just going back because this kind of ties in with this question as well um when you said when we agreed that it wasn't necessarily traditional to do six months unpeated and six months peated i am fairly confident in saying that tanaska although they never do well i don't think they do unpeated i may be wrong they vary their peating levels throughout the year. Hmm. And the reason they do this, and it's kind of what we wanted to do, but we were a bit more extreme, is if you imagine an artist sitting there with a palette of colours, you know, in order to make that vibrant green, you need more than just whatever makes green up. You know, you need maybe a wee bit of that. Yeah, sure, of that, sure. That. Yep. So the more extremes you have in your palette, um, potentially the easier it is to reach that consistency and also slightly unique uh, style. Um, and the fact that uh, we treat our unpeated spirit differently from our peated spirit in terms of how we distill it or how we ferment it and how we distill it. And in fact, how we mash it as well. They all have a very slightly different regime. Uh, okay. Um, so, yeah, that, that's just what I'd like to say on that. Um, and then in terms of, of the next question, um, which I've now forgotten because I'm two years older than you. <laughs> 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 oh, what, oh, what was 
it, it, it was, uh, the question was, um, is, is that sort of more unusual peppery earthy style of peat yes, coming right. from the water or from the peat used to dry the barley? So I think, uh, again, I'm not 100% sure where Talisker has its uh, barley malted, yeah. but I'm fairly confident we share um, the same region in terms of the peat, uh, which is Highland. Yeah. And Highland peat smoke is very different from Ida because of the composition of the peat, sure. basically. So we have a much drier heather tree root basis to our, um, our peat. Whereas on Isla, it would have been seaweed and much more maritime style uh, of decomposition. And again, uh, if you remember, um, I don't know if you know, but back in about 2006, 2007, sorry, 1996, <laughs> Highland Park closed its uh, Orkney maltings temporarily oh. and brought in all their malt requirements from, from the Highlands, from the mainland. And... If you are if you're lucky enough to have tasted their Loki or Lurky, mm-hmm. however you can pronounce it, mm-hmm. uh, one of those ones in that fancy wooden box, um, that so as far as I I believe Loki is the the Norse god who was a bit schizophrenic and a bit crazy, and he never quite knew what, what was happening, so they chose that particular god for that um, run that 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 whiskey. Yeah. Because it was it was non Orkney peated for the first time, uh, okay, uh, and it's a different style. So Orkney peat again is a different flavour because it's too windy to grow any trees up there. Sure. So you get a different uh, composition of of the peat as well. That's interesting. I, I have I have things to say about that release. None of them are kind. Um, <laughs> but but I th- but I think the the Loki, the name Loki really is perfect for that whiskey. Because Loki, Loki was really good at, at confusing people. Right. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> um, but, but, but I love what you're saying about the peat and how, and how Talisker sort of runs at different peating levels. And it, as you were describing that, it made me think of um, the most recent Frank Zappa documentary. Has anybody except for me watched that? So... On top of being, uh, obviously, a strange guy, clearly, you know, a wonderful musician who not everybody appreciates, but, it, but also a, um, um, a well-respected composer, there was this bit of audio that they played where he had maybe eight or ten people coming together, and he said, okay, your job is to play this one note. And so here he goes, and taps, and then they play the note, and it sounded beautiful. And, and then he said, okay, now play the note, and I'm going to paraphrase, but he says, now play the note with all your heart and soul. And then they all play the same note, but it has a completely different feeling, and they all, like, vibrate in different ways and add little, you know, nuance to the note that they're playing. And then it went from being very pretty to magical. And that got me thinking about perhaps what Talisker is doing to create their very specific flavor profile. And it gets me to thinking of what you guys do when you're blending your peated and, un- and your unpeated. It's this marriage at the end that, that produces this, this lovely spirit that I cannot stop sipping on. It's really, really quite gorgeous. 
I'm going to have to watch that documentary. Are you a Zappa fan? Mm. <laughs> That's like most people. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Zappa dork. I couldn't, I couldn't not watch that. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to switch gears quickly and talk about Adelphi, if, if you guys didn't mind. Uh, but before we did that, Jess, is there anything that, that you wanted to touch on? No, I was um, maybe we'll come back around to this after we have done a bit on Adelphi, but it was more about, um, I'm not sure how many of our US listeners will have seen so much, but here in the UK, um, I don't think you realize quite how lucky you are that you are getting exclusives just for you, Ardna Merkans. I'm, I'm furious because I'm going to have to gonna have to twist some arms of some of my US guinea pigs to, uh, to rush to the stores and buy for me so that I can get a... It's bad enough having to queue up at Good Spirits, that's what I'm telling you. So, um, but one of the really innovative things that you guys are doing um, with your packaging is, um, and I'm fascinated by it because I love a bit of kind of tech being worked into the, mm-hmm. the old and the new mixed together, um, that you have such a really interesting idea about blockchain technology um, in your packaging, which I'm sort of, yeah, like, I. <laughs> sorry, Connor. Um, I'm really interested in it because um, it allows you to kind of like become as nerdy or not nerdy as you like so if you want to um to drink a lovely single cask bottle and think well that was delicious and then put it in your recycling bin and then move on to the next one um but it's the idea that you're handing the consumer like a huge amount of power and information that maybe that means that they won't be handing you by email Connell being like what specific barley and field and uh geolocation did this come from and now you can just say it's all there it's in your bottle before you before you recycle it responsibly, um, go away and find the technology. I just wondered how you guys got to that that point. I mean, that's like that's a whole level beyond. We'll tell you some information on a label, right? Mm. Yeah. Be, be, before Alex sends you to sleep, um, I will just I will just <laughs> I'll just tell you my 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 uh, very inexperienced part. Um, is, this has all been Alex. The whole blockchain um, technology. What I will say is modern now is that it's really at the most exciting stage in the fact that that we've been trialing it now for, I want to say, maybe four years now. Mm. Um, maybe it's not as as long as that, but it, it's taken so that's to this stage now where we're at the point of it's only going to get so much better for the whiskey enthusiast. So when you do scan that, you can dive as deep as you want down that rabbit hole um, and we're just going to load it with information. So it, you can go as far as you want, and it's only going to improve year on year. Alex, myself, uh, but mainly, um, certainly these days, uh, Jenny Carlson uh, has been dealing with it and, 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 and is also working on many other exciting things linked to blockchain technology. So, But blockchain technology, that is very much uh, over to you, Alex, if you want to, you know, Send send send, send it to the, the poor listeners to sleep. That's fine. Uh, I was going to say that even though this is a podcast, we, even though this is a podcast, we can still hear you snoring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now look, um, thank you so much, Jess, for bringing this up. It's music to my ears. Uh, but very very briefly, the the whole part that you've described the the consumer, you know, interaction and and um, awareness part and offering this window into everything that we do, that is very much the icing on the cake to the reason that we chose blockchain in the first place. Um, I was given the opportunity to trial it uh, by someone who'd actually built it to trace 
a, a food product from the field to the supermarket, basically. And even though the US has seen a lot more use of that um, than we have in the UK over the years, and I believe one of the giants like Walmart, you now have, as, as a supplier, you now have to be blockchain enabled just to get a listing in Walmart. Oh, wow. And that, specifically for them, that is so they can shorten, dramatically shorten the time, effort, money, resources put into doing product recalls mm -hmm. um, because they can trace back to that individual component uh, issue within seconds or a blockchain can rather than having to recall thousands of different lines. Um, but that's not why we chose it. We chose it so that uh, we could rely on its completely incorruptible ledger system. So if you imagine a diary which you're writing every day and it gets a padlock put on it, you cannot change it. Mm -hmm. So all the production and supply chain information eventually will be automatically going up into our into our diary, into our ledger, uh, which is you know, in the blockchain. And that will then sit there. And when we, so if you imagine one cast uh, has multiple lines of different blockchain data in it, if you like, in terms of the mash, the, the, where the barley came from, the farmer's name, everything, it's all there. And when that cask gets put together with 70 other casks to make an Arden Merkin small batch in five years' time, mm -hmm. uh, that information simply downloads to the consumer should they want it or should they want any of it. It's all, all via a QR code into your smartphone. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's for us, it's the most important part is our, is our production system. And, uh, and then... Uh, the, the second most important part, which is but it's becoming really exciting, you know, is the consumer interaction once the bottle's out there. Yeah. Um, and as Connell mentioned, that part is about to become a whole lot more exciting um, in, in the next few weeks, hopefully. Yeah, I, I was going over the information with Jenny Carlson last week sometime. And and what I love about it is, is it answered all of the questions that that I would get asked if I'm doing a seminar on a brand, right? What's the barley you're using? You know, how, how what's the mashing look like? What are the temperatures of the water, uh, right? You know, how long is it fermented? What are your cut points? What casks are you using? And you really go into depth on that. You, you can make any, the mo you can make the most inquisitive German happy with, with all of the answers <laughs> that you provide in your blockchain information. <laughs> But the great, the great thing is we, we don't have to. We, we simply are doing this. We're, we're going about our everyday jobs making whiskey and it's recording it. Yeah. And then it's available to anyone that wants to see it. So we're not physically having to add in any marketing, you know, support information right. at any given point. It's all there, which is great. I think that's really cool. I do think we were, uh, we were talking yesterday about this, um, the change, even in the time I've been in the industry, so I've been doing whiskey-ish things for about 12, 13-ish years. Um, and the difference in between the kind of conversations I used to have with people who were wanting to know more about what was in the bottle or wanting to make a more informed choice about um, what to buy as a gift of themselves, um, I, I think the conversation has changed massively. You know, people who, um, some of it is to do with the um, huge developments in the internet, 
But I think there's also that that means there's loads more information and it's whether or not um, it's distilleries becoming much more transparent in their processes so people really get a feel for what makes Ardenmerk and Ardenmerk mm. compared to a, another distillery. Um, but I, I think it's also that once you start empowering people that they it's not a secret. They don't. It's, it's not a case of this information is not for you. It's if, if you want it, you can have it. If you want to just sail on through and, and drink the whiskey, then you're equally welcome to do that. And I just think that's really exciting, the difference that, you know, having with people, and this will maybe lead into our discussion about Adelphi, you know, like the conversation about independent bottlers was like a kind of two-sentence thing where it was, you know, you rushed through it and then you went back to talking about the big brands. It was, you know, independent bottlers are these guys who kind of don't own a distillery, but they like to put things in bottles under their names, even though they didn't do the work for it. Uh, have we told you about the new release this week from uh, Highland Park? Yeah. And it was kind of this <laughs> slightly slightly awkward conversation as somebody who used to be involved in the training of staff that I worked with. Um, and I did write like a whiskey training book and I've only got like a, a, a not quite so scathing review of independent bottlers, but it wasn't a big part of our trade. We had kind of the bigger names and then they just took up a small portion of the shelf. They weren't really doing a lot of work. And I was in a specialist retailer, so... I mean, we probably had the most exposure to independent bottlers you could get. And so now, um, I think it's really exciting to see. I mean, blockchain is probably a lot more advanced than I would have thought of in terms of giving out information to people. But that's really cool. That's why I'm not in charge of coming out with innovation at Single Gas Nation. That's, it's, uh, it's beyond me. I, I don't come out with these things. But I, I love the idea of, um, you know, like empowering people because I think that's really important because then people are going to, I think we'll come back to you. They'll be like, well, these people were really straight with us and we've identified some things that we liked in their products. So we'll come back and try it again as opposed to misc that was on the bottom shelf of, you know, a dusty shop that no one really knew what it was. Mm. So uh, that's that's my two pence worth. Sorry, Connell. It was a question I had to ask. It's too long for sending in on like Instagram. Or <laughs> a little slot in the podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> No, I, Alex is just delighted. It's fine. You've made his day. You've made his day. <laughs> so my my question surrounding independence has a, has a clear connection to Arden American, and and I, I want to word this properly for a multitude of reasons. And I don't know if I'll I'll be able to to word it properly, so I'll just go go for it. There are independents that have purchased distilleries, right? Gordon McPhail with, with Ben Romach and, and Signatory with Andrew Dower um, and so on. But I can't think of too many independents that have built distilleries, right? It was just easier to, to buy. I don't know if the, the term is it's easier to buy a distillery. But the point I'm trying to get at is it seems Arden Merkin's approach to independence in general is a bit different from some of the other independent bottlers because I just saw there, there'll be a, a North Star Arden American, right? And, and there have been other Arden Americans bottled by yeah. independence, which seems to be really interesting. And, and it seems to be a stance that other independent bottlers who own distilleries aren't taking and so I'm curious as to as to why that is why you're selling to independence what what value are you putting on independence for Arden American good question 
Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> so it was it was a, a bit of a debate we had, but I mean, I was always on the on on the side that that's where we have come from. You know, our our modern history since ninety two has been an independent bottler. Okay, we were a distillery in the eighteen hundreds in Glasgow, but you know, before you know, more recent, we have, that's what, where we've come from. So I think it would be extremely extremely uh, hypocritical of us to, to not offer um, some, some some decent casks to, to other indies. who And we're very much still an independent bottler and that's very much going to remain. Adelphi, hopefully, will go from strength to strength um, and they can, you know, we're very much all one company, but they are they are different. Um, and yeah, uh, North Star, that, that, that's got out. The cat's out of the bag now, I suppose, in that. Um, yeah, I saw it on Facebook, yeah. so I imagine if it's on Facebook, <laughs> then all It must right. be true. It must be true. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it must be true if it's on Facebook. Uh, but yes, no, you are correct. That is that is happening. Um, and, you know, there's been a few SMWS uh, bottlings. And, of course, the first being Adelphi. So we, <laughs> we, wanted, to be the, we wanted to be the first to, to do our own stuff, which was... A bit of a full circle weird thing. Um, is that an independent bottling? I don't know. Yeah, that's, but, that's um, a good question. If Adelphia bottles, if Adelphi bottles in Arden American, is it an independent bottling? I, I'm going to go and say yes, but I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> It, has, it was in a different bottling, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, no. Basically, in short, Alex and I and uh, the team, we all, we all, we all agreed. I think it was, it was a pretty easy decision that we are. I mean, we're not going to certainly uh, uh, flood the market or anything with it, yeah. um, but we're just going to be careful and, and 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 work work with the independent bottlers. It's, it's, it's so much more than just making a, a sale of a cask or whatever it may be. It's about selecting that cask with. The the Perfect. with Ian, for example, you know, it's not just it's about guiding it, guiding the process, and hopefully maybe working again with with them, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a really exciting part of of the of 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 it is is, is seeing Arden American being bottled and and other by other people. I think that's really exciting. I, I think that that point is a really good one that that you're playing a part in that cask as well, right? Because I think your point is, is, is a good one where larger companies may want to be protective of their brand, but, ha- but how do they do that? If you're, if you're a distillery and you're producing 4 million liters of spirit per year, a lot of that's going into blend and what isn't going into blend goes off somewhere else. And if there's a name attached to that, that could be, and that cask ends up being shit, then it ends up potentially negatively affecting that distillery potentially but the fact that you're in it from the beginning to say no 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 we're we're working with them because we want to help them show a side of Arden American that shows us in the best light are there any other precautions that not precautions but but things you do to ensure that Arden American is is showing the best not just in your bottle Adelphi's bottle some other independent bottlers bottle what other things do you do to ensure that quality well i'd like to say that, that everything in the warehouse is of a quality that doesn't require us to ensure <laughs> <laughs> but no obviously there'll be uh, there'll be things which aren't ready um 
we actually, just on that, and I will sidetrack very briefly, um, the whole maturation profile, if you like, of a new distiller is quite complicated because mm. you could just shove everything into first fill wood or virgin oak and have it all ready within five to 10 years. But you end up with a very small window of style, if you like. Um, it's very hard to move out of that window if that's all you've got. So one of the things that we'd be very careful to do is to build into our uh, wood management program a, a certain percentage of refill, good quality refill casks mm -hmm. every year. Uh, and we have different maturation sort of microclimates within different warehouses as well, all because of where they are on the rock or the, the hillside. So we're kind of trying to allow some things to, to mature long term and some things a bit quicker. Um, okay. and not have all our eggs in one basket. Yeah, I, But yeah, yeah I, I, I think in terms of, of uh, trying to make sure that nothing goes out the door that isn't to our standard, um, as Connell said, we certainly help uh, the independent bottlers select the casks that they're buying off us. It's very much a, a mutual selection. Uh, the only company that we have um, filled, you know, reasonable quantity uh, for since the outset uh, we just made sure that they they fill our own wood, so we we know it's the casks are, uh, are of the same quality that we've got. Yeah. Um, that's the best you know best we can do, really. Yeah, that that that's great, and 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 I should have been clear when when I was talking about the assurance of quality, I, I should have led with you know it's it's obvious there are some casks that are doing very specific things, and they would work well within a batch, but maybe not as a standalone. Right, because that's difficult yeah. to find a standalone cask that is providing a nose palette and finish that a blended product or, or a product where you married a multitude of casks. So, I should have been clear. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to say you're potentially um, maturing some not so great stuff because I, I know that's not the case <laughs> at all. No, no, it, it, absolutely. But uh, just to give you a, a, an extra wee bit there, that um, so we so far. You know everything that's gone into our the Merkin bottle um, is is past Alex's and mine and most of the team's nose and possibly palate. Even when we're putting together um, the small batches, so you know you have seventy casks and and anything that's single. So when, when you were nosing these samples, anything that we feel has got maybe something an edge, let's say to it, mm -hmm. that just gets started and it goes into the separate, the single cask pile. So it's got a lot of there. Like for for example, we do have a we do have a, a small pool now uh, to pick from of of things that are maybe just above the rest, if you like. And that's something that we if it that's it needs to be deserving to be a single cask bottling. And 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 we're not we're not offering sort of one sample to indies. We, we like to give people a choice, so you know we just we just put it to them. Um, ultimately, if, if we're happy for it to go into a bottle, um, we'll 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 just put some samples to people and just see what they think. Brilliant, Jess. I see I, I, I see you standing there, waiting. Just uh, just chewing over uh, your revelation that you just made. Um, I <laughs> I was going to ask about single casks and picking, obviously on the assumption that all the stuff is really good. But I'm also coming at it from a slightly biased angle that 
Uh, I'm with a small group of friends and we own a couple of casks as just regular Joes that really like whiskey at Ardenmarken and that we're very excited about one day when travel permits us going up and kind of poking at them in the warehouse. I'm I'm sure they're by the door labelled Jess and her friends cask. Um, (laughs) Just the idea of um, that's definitely a trend that we can see in the newer distilleries. You guys are full of uh, part of a handful of distilleries that have offered for a limited period of time um, the, the cask um, programs and the opportunity that if you so wish to have a, a cask of your own up at the distillery. Um, I was wondering if that was something that you, because um, I think you guys have finished doing that now. Have I picked that up wrong that maybe they're only a small, I, I quite like the idea of being a slightly exclusive club if we were <laughs> we were quick on the drawer at getting in and now uh, these Johnny come latelys are not entitled to casks. Um, but I think that's really an exciting way of kind of building. It's, it touches on everything we've talked about. It, you know, um, it's an exciting way of building a, a brand loyalty of maybe encouraging a few people who were just looking for something fun with friends to hang out and do. Um, I've met uh, a couple of people recently who I didn't realize were also uh, fellow uh, cask owners, um, which I think is going to be really cool that when there's you know, a chance for us to pull samples in, you know, later years that we can all swap and kind of kind of do just what you spoke about there, you know, like picking for bottling, but the idea of, you know, maybe saying, well, my friend, I really like their one, you know, that we'll swap a couple of bottles here and there, which I think that's really exciting, kind of not really independent bottling, but um, the idea of swapping, you know, mixing and matching of your own Ardemark, and I think it's really exciting for the future. Um, we've got uh, because we bought them obviously at the beginning we have traditional we have a bourbon and a sherry cask um, but I was going to ask you about if you had any feelings towards um, maybe some of the changes in SWA rules recently about different casks so we've stuck with fairly traditional though you guys have done interesting French oak and you've got a nice looking Spanish cask uh, sample there Alex um, but what about are we going to see something funky like a mezcal cask um, Ardnamurkin in the future or <laughs> rum or something maybe something not as weird as mezcal rum uh, casks or you know something else well a uh, g- g- great question and very uh, good timing but we have started to do little bits and pieces you know um, there's some port pipes as we speak um, in warehouse 2 um, we have recently managed to secure some Foursquare rum barrels, mm-hmm. um, which came directly from mm-hmm. Foursquare, which was wonderful. Um, we've also taken delivery of Sautern and Madeira Bariques. Um I must say I was very impressed with the Madeira. I don't know if you've seen them, Alex, but they, they, they looked fantastic. Um, uh, what else did we, you ordered something silly as well. What else did you order? <laughs> <coughs> You did order well, we them, have didn't you? Which one? Tequila. Did oh. you do t- Oh, yeah, t- tequila. We've got some tequilas, <laughs> just a handful coming on the next container from America. But we obviously have now a good relationship with this um, particular domain in the Champagne region of France. You may have alluded to with your French oak <laughs> observation. <laughs> um, yeah, which is basically, it's, it's Chardonnay, you know, it's not champagne because we can't call it that. Um, but it, they are delicious. We only get uh, the the whole outturn every year is ten casts from that winery. Oh wow! So we, we get the ten. Um, these are casts which are hand picked in terms of the build, so the makeup of the staves in terms of individual toasting levels down to that level of detail, hand picked by the eventual owner of the bottles that will come out of what fermented in that. 
So that, that's how specialized that specific champagne is in that specific um, domain. Uh, and they are amazing. So they change them every year. So we get, we get 10 very fresh casks. Um, and the champagne apparently is amazing too. We haven't yet um, been allowed to try it. But, <laughs> but we are, whatever we do in terms of the cask management, where possible, we're trying to have some kind of relationship with uh, as far down the line as possible. So, for example, the, the Paul on casks from the Champagne region, mm -hmm. we now know the guys really well. We've had um, uh, Ardner Merkin, there's a particular Ardner Merkin customer who actually took a bottle of the Paul on release to Champagne Paul on to the domain and opened it and drank it with the owner. Wow. And it was the first time he tried it. So that, that's how close we've all become. And I'm doing the same with our Madeira, with our Sotern, uh, the Four Square Connection, um, Spain as well, Jerez, um, and, and America as well. We, we know exactly where they've come from. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the most important part for us, is, is having that uh, part of that sort of blockchain traceability, if you like, all the way back to, to square one as far as we yeah. can. Yeah, that is, that is super cool. Ten casks per year. and. That's what they do per year, and then you get all 10 casks? So they do other stuff. They do other champagnes, um, but this is their, their kind of pinnacle. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. So their pinnacle is, is yeah. just the 10. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and we get them. And, and they are different. So this the first batch that we put together, the one that released in April, I think it was, this year, um, when I was going through the casks, I, I got all my notes together of, the toasting levels on, on each of the casks that we've been given. Mm -hmm. And it has made a complete, you know, the, the, there is a significant point of difference between how the Ardemurkins have turned out with, with the years finishing from those casks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, quite, it's, it's really interesting. It's great fun to play around. Very cool. I have a tiny, I have a tiny bit of it left here on my desk. But I, I think I may, I may save. I'm slowly stepping on. Um, I also wanted to, uh, give a little shout out because the guys at Good Spirits here in Glasgow had uh, made it relatively easy for me to obtain one of their bottles um, for the the tasting we did earlier in the year with Connell and Graham. Um, so yeah, we pulled a few strings, so we made sure we had it. So I'm I'm just drinking this while you're showing off with your American release. I'm just drinking one that you can't have. <laughs> because I'm, I'm drinking it here. Touche, um, touche. <laughs> I'm a bit of a magpie. I like to collect together all these different kind of shiny whiskeys. So it's quite nice to be able to do a comparison. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward. I think what you guys are doing is really considered in your releases. Like you're saying, if you've gone to the effort of sourcing casks where there's only 10 a year, I think that's, you know, it's obviously a whiskey worth trying that it's, it's going to have an impact enough to justify the legwork for chasing 10 casks uh, to make it all the way to the West Coast Peninsula. I think that's pretty <laughs> cool. We can't wait to go on a road trip to visit all these people, um, which yeah. we haven't been able to do for the best part of two years. <laughs> so I, I have one last question for you both to get us out of here on. The last time, Alex, I had you on here again is back in 2018. And, and since then, we had a lovely 2019. The first three months of 2020 were absolutely fantastic. And then we entered hell. And, and back in 2018, I'm sure we asked you, what are you most looking forward to? Which your future self likely didn't know what we're living in at the time when you answered that question as your 
past self. Anyway, my question to you now is, it being 2021, almost 2022, both you and, and Connell, what are you both excited for, uh, both in the near future and maybe the, the next couple of years as we're hopefully emerging through COVID in some way, shape, or form? I'll take this first because you might nick my answer. <laughs> no, because I've, I've got one and I'll go blank if I, if, if, I, if I sit in it for too long. So yeah, um, what I'm looking forward to is actually taking Arden the Merkin to whiskey enthusiasts all around the world for the first time face-to-face. Zoom has had its time. It still will continue and it's a wonderful thing. However, we haven't have we have not had the chance to pour someone Adram face to face and look them in the eye and see if you know really see mm-hmm. and hear their thoughts on on the whiskey that has been produced in the West for the last seven years and and of course just watching Ard the Merkin grow um, and 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 hopefully it will um, and go from strength to strength and we've got lots of exciting things um, on the horizon. We just want to, it's baby steps and we'll just, we'll just take it as it comes. And yeah, for me, that is the, the most exciting thing is being able to, to get out there and bang the drum um, as loud as we can and, and, and get it in front of people and just, just, yeah. And just seeing everyone in the trade again, you know, and getting over to, getting over to the US as well. That's, that's another thing I'm very much looking forward to, to doing is getting over there and, and seeing what, seeing what the fine folk think of it over there. Yeah. I was trying to think of, uh, you know, having you guys out for a week, what do we call the tour? Is it Arden America? I think that might be what we call the tour. Uh, Arden America. Arden America. Arden America. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are just about neighbors. I mean, there's nothing else between us. Right? Yeah. That's amazing. Arden America. There you go. Jess, you can shake your head, but that is pan genius level. Boom, see? Well, I'm shaking my head because I don't get a US tour, but I'm, I'm quietly writing in the New Zealand thing, which is very much in my territory, and I have family down there, so I'm calling that shotgun. You should, you should so the rest of them can pull straws for it. Definitely shotgun. Arden America. There you go. And what, you could do it on your way back from your Arden America tour. You could come back to New Zealand. We could all have a hangout down there. That'd well, be strange. Hang out in real life on the other side of the world. Oh, we'll, we'll be there if it's going ahead. We need to create shirts that say Arden America on it. Maybe it wraps around from um, the chest to the back because it's going to be such a damn long word. Arden America. <laughs> Instead of doing the Land Rover tour like um, Coleman, can we do, what can we do? We could do uh, Teslas. We could do the Tesla tour. There you are. <laughs> el- el- electric, driving, renewable, oh, distilling. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I mean, if, 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 if it's with your, your green initiatives. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and what about you, Alex? What are you What are you looking forward to? Seeing as you don't have a chance to use Connell's answer, you, you've got to come up with your own. <laughs> oh, I'll be much, I'll be much better. better. <laughs> <laughs> now, I was going to say, excuse me while I go and fetch the keys to my DeLorean because I can't remember what I said in 2018. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think it may be along the lines of uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing a bottle of Arden American on a shelf. Hmm. Um, and ironically, I don't think I have actually even seen that yet because of the world that we've been living in for the last 18 months and the whole internet you know, communication boom. Um, most of our whiskey has exported or domestically sold 
direct into people's houses. And I, I may be wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm, there's bound to be a bottle somewhere in a shelf on a shelf. Yeah. But I haven't yet laid eyes on it. And so I'm really looking forward to doing that. Um, and secondly, the and this is kind of what Colin was saying as well, the various experiments that we are now uh, enjoying up here, so the extras, it's in phase two, if you like, of, of um, the distillery. Uh, and then one in particular, which kicks off tomorrow. Ooh. So when I, I came into the distillery late last night, uh, we have a little staff accommodation, so we bed sit. So I went in there, fell asleep, and that was great. Woke up in the morning, opened the door, and I got knocked over by the smell of peat smoke. Uh, we are running our first heavily peated batch through the stills tomorrow. Um, uh, we're only doing about three weeks of it this year, just to see how it goes. Uh, but the the smell coming off the washbacks is phenomenal. Um, yeah, what, what's, I mean, heavily, what's heavily peated for you? Uh, we're, we're we're doing eighty. Oh, okay. Eight zero. Okay. Uh, so pretty decent level. Uh, and yeah, I I, I kind of hope. Well, I really hope that it works because we'll we'll start to build in that more regularly uh, into the into the annual makeup. And so, all right. So if if you're running six months of PDID and you find that the eighty ppm is working out, is just three months the trial, and then you'll see if you can incorporate that a bit more, or do, or do you even know where so, it might lead to? No, this trial is three weeks. It's only oh, did I say three, three months? I yeah, meant three weeks. Literally. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so three weeks. Yeah, so. Again, it's going to take time. I mean, obviously, we'll be able to tell a certain amount from the spirit that runs, not the first batch, but certainly the second, uh, once the things have cleared through a bit. Um, but um, we will put, like we did with early Ardemarkin, we will put some of it into uh, smaller casks mm. to give it an accelerated maturation, purely for our own, uh, just to see, you know, how it's coming on. And if, if it does work, and I think it, it's going to work really well with sherry casks, um, just a, a gut feeling I've got. Then what we'll probably do is uh, still keep 50-50 with the standard peated and unpeated. Oh. So, uh, but, but bring in maybe two months of heavily peated as well as a standalone. And we can then decide whether to use that in the mix mm -hmm. with the core expression mm -hmm. or purely run it as a separate limited release going forward. I had hoped that you'd said you were going to put it into small sherry casks because as soon as you said 80 ppm, I said, oh, I wonder what they're going to do. <laughs> and my heart told me, I hope it goes into sherry. I hope it goes into sherry. And it's going into sherry. That has me so excited. I had, I had a wee bit of a revelation. Uh, I think it was last year. Lockdown plays strange things to your mind in terms of time. <laughs> but I think it was last summer. I was outside the house... Uh, one evening, trying what was to become the first independent bottling in the Clean and Bruce um, Delphi, yeah. like Arden American. So that was released in what, November, December, I think, last year. So we were trying it, uh, and it was a double cast. So it was two sherry butt sister casts put Ooh. together um, uh, because one was extreme and one was a little bit less. So they kind of married beautifully sure. um, in the middle. And it suddenly occurred to me that the flavour profile in those sherry butts, um, and I'm not trying to be arrogant here or anything, but it just reminded me of some of the old, older, uh, heavily peated, um, 
well, what we know as Brewer, you know, the climbing oh, yeah. style. Yeah, yeah, sure. like. And I, I really wanted to tweak up. I wanted to, to raise the volume level on the peat in my glass, but I couldn't uh, just to see what it was like. Um, so that's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm really looking forward to, seeing how this, you know, in two or three years' time is, is going to taste. Because it does have that kind of dirtiness, that sort of funk oh, that we, okay. we have somehow found. That's brilliant. Yeah, you wonder... You wonder though if that ages out after time, some some of that funk. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. We oh, tried a <clears throat> we we tried a seven year old unpeated cherry last night at a tasting last night, and uh, Oliver Chilton um, from Elixir was always on the uh, on the tasting, and he just messaged me after it saying that was dank. So yeah, that was uh, in a good way. That's a great compliment. <laughs> yeah, and I said, "Well, thank you, thank you for the highest praise, sir. Uh, that was fantastic." But uh, yeah, no, it, uh, ho- hopefully we can have that mustiness, that dankness that we all know is a good thing in whiskey, mainly. Well, Alex, you had talked about it uh, a bit earlier, where. When we were talking about the cast that you're using and, and, and why you stay away from STRs, because you find lighter spirit tends to go with the STR, but your heavier spirit, you, do, you just didn't think that it would work out. When I think of the heavier spirits, I think of, well, I think of the Broras or I think of the Mortlucks of the world. And, and especially with Mortluck, I usually don't find their whiskeys to be as good in single digits as they are in, say, you know, 12 years and up. So you have this level of funk coming through, this heaviness coming through. I realize I should have asked this question earlier on, not as we're trying to get out. But, you know, where, where is that heaviness coming, coming from? And how is it so damn approachable? Right? You, like in a way i'm a, i'm a, i'm afraid to see that age out right i i, I never want to let that go and so where where's that coming from but, i mean it's actually this is full circle to what i think connell answered the question originally but it's a question about jim swan um and how no i think we both answered it what i didn't say um at the time was that jim's recipe the, the whole uh sort of new profile of distillation, thanks to Jim Swan. And we're talking several distilleries mm-hmm. uh, that are now on the market, uh, thanks to him. Um, his recipe was to basically enable a startup distillery to uh, arrive on the market in terms of bottled product far quicker than traditionally sure. it's associated with a long-term maturation climate like Scotland. Yep. And he did this primarily by... Um, I don't know what he did chemically, but it's basically to bypass oxidization or the requirement to oxi- to have gone through an oxidized stage mm. uh, in maturation. And it's it's a combination of his mashing, his fermentation, his distillation regimes um, that, that does this. And then to put it in, if required, because it's a lighter, faster maturing spirit, then to put it in, fairly active casks, like the SDR ones, which have been scraped and recharged and all the rest of it. That combination gives you a very drinkable product within three years. Sure. And we've seen it from countless distilleries. Where we differ, uh, certainly in our peated, uh, and to a certain extent in our unpeated too, 
is one of the key things in his recipe was that you should not stir up your mash at all. It should be the cleanest wort, the liquid that comes off the mash, yeah. yep. the fermenters. Yep. And we do have a special sight glass to, to check that uh, cleanliness, the, the clarification, if you like, mm-hmm. comes through. Um, but we agreed with him that we would stir. Uh, we wanted oil in that oiliness you get from uh, okay. stirring. So we've kind of we've kind of gone part gym, part not gym, uh, and that that I would say is right the way through the process, um, which has allowed us to come up with a slightly heavier spirit yeah. that is also seems to be benefiting from his way of producing a faster maturing whiskey. Okay, so th- this is getting a little bit back to Connell what you were saying about about tradition, creating a more traditional spirit in in, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's very cool. That's very cool. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you. That was really excellent. Thanks to Alex and Connell. Thanks to you and Jess. That was a great, great conversation. What I enjoyed is the last time I was at the distillery. Mm hmm was May of 2014 when I was doing a little jaunt around Scotland with Mark Connolly. Oh, wow. And Mark and I were visiting, really, the new kids on the block. Yeah. And and I'd, I'd gone off to Daft Mill and I'd gone off to Strathairn and I went off to Annandale. Um, and, of course, we went off to Ardnamurkin. And it was, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a great little trip that Mark and I enjoyed together but that was 2014 we (laughs) saw them 2017 uh, when we were all over for the Great Isla Swim Tour Ah. but we started off in Oban and they were pouring some two year old and three year old stock uh, at the Oban or the the West Coast Whiskey Festival West Coast Whiskey Phage Yep, West Coast Whiskey Phage and the guy pouring I think his name was Mac uh, lovely guy, yeah, yep, yeah, and and so so that that was seventeen. So there's fourteen, there's seventeen, and now here we are having this catch up in in twenty one. You of course had the the interview with Alex and Charlie back at Maltstock in two thousand and eighteen. Yeah, so fourteen, yep. seventeen, eighteen, twenty one. <laughs> 21 <laughs> hut, keep hut checking hike. in here <laughs> see how things are going so that, that, that was that was tons of fun so so thanks as we were listening back to that I don't know if I told you this but I've been I poured a little bit of our new Westland 16 year old but I recently brewed some wait 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 yeah. our Westland 16 year old Christ I I poured some of our 16-year-old Westport. Yes. And I decided to brew some some tea as well, some some green tea, some upper end higher shelf dragon well. There's a few different grades and this was the higher grade of them. And I love dragon well. Dragon well's really nice and I have to tell you the tea paired so wonderfully with that, uh, with the sixteen-year-old Westport, with that delicate fruitiness and the earthy sherry, and then you get that kind of slightly salty, umami grassiness from the green tea. It just worked perfectly, and I and I feel, 
I needed to share that with you as both a whiskey lover <laughs> and a tea lover. Dragon Well is also known as Long Gin, right? Uh, I think it's Long Duck Dong. Oh, Dong. Dong. <laughs> dong. Dong. Grandpa is talking to you. <laughs> dong. Where is my automobile? I don't know what's happening right Sexy now. Sexy American girlfriend. No, none of this. <laughs> oh, sexy girlfriend! Are you kidding me? Americans my age are there about. Americans my age are there about. Know exactly what's going on. This is sixteen candles, Molly Ringwald, and they had a foreign exchange student living with them named Long Duck Dong. I'm just thinking about our European listeners and our Asian <laughs> listeners know. and our Australian and New Zealand my, listeners. My concern like, is that I've just really upset all of our listeners in China. I was not trying to upset you. I apologize. This is from an 80s American film. And uh, and I decided to I make just, a joke. <laughs> I love that it started out waxing lyrical about top shelf Chinese tea and then ended up with 1980s American movie racism. Like, like and you, you wouldn't, ju- just, just like this Westport with the tea, you wouldn't think they would go together, but they really do, Jason. So, <laughs> <laughs> who, got, who got racism in my tea? Who got tea in my racism? That's, uh, that's a Reese's peanut butter cup line. If uh, anyone's keeping score at home, yeah, <laughs> you got chocolate in my peanut butter. You got yeah. peanut butter in my chocolate. Yeah, so. I think the same people who didn't get my reference to sixteen candles also didn't get your reference to Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> I think you are correct. Um, so, so, ah, it's amazing we still have a podcast five years <laughs> in. <laughs> have we not been shut down by somebody? Um, let's let's move on to a very quick news segment. The one thing that I wanted to bring up is the two Westlands that we've been talking about for month after month <laughs> after month. What did you call them? Schrodinger's Schrodinger's Westland. Schrodinger's Westland, because they got lost somewhere, and maybe they existed, and maybe they didn't. Anyway, the good news is the bottles are en route to our warehouse now, and hopefully, with, with luck... We will start shipping these bottles out to those who purchase the week of August 30th. That would be nice. Yeah. That would be nice. Yep. 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 That's yeah. That's I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited to obviously get these out the door. You and I have been talking about them for so long. But there's, there's one other thing I wanted to throw in here. These are obviously US releases, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they are sold to the nation online. However, the nation has a global following. If you have a friend in the United States, you can you can enter, you can buy these if you win, you can have them sent to that American address. We're within our rights to do that, and then you're within your rights to get them by hook or by crook. 
as we say in Scotland. Yep. But, you know, but, you know, look, look what you and I, you know, not to speak of a school, but you and I buy bottles in Australia, you and I buy bottles in Scotland, you and I buy bottles oh, in Europe, yeah. and we, and we work to get them here by hook or by crook. Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes if that means we're we're flying out to see that friend and they've been holding on to the bottle for a while <laughs> and it comes back in the suitcase, there you go. Um, so, so yeah, that so that's, I'm, I'm glad you clarified that point, Jason, about this being an American release because we are becoming and have become more international it's even more so now. People are really starting to cast an eye in our direction. And so we are going to start doing our best to really delineate between what is a U.S. release and what is a release for, for, for U.K., Europe, Japan, Israel, or, or, or whatever. Because I, I can imagine there were some people who saw that, that Westland post and the headline says, hey, we got two new Westlands. And that's exciting. And if you don't read past the headline where the next line says, this is a U.S. release, I can understand you getting excited, and then, and then you dig deep and, and you hear that you can't get it being outside the U.S., I can understand people being upset. So we want to avert that as best as possible. Uh, and to add on to that, the, the ROW component, the rest of the world component, the non-U.S. component of Single Cast Nation is still relatively new since 2019. True. And we're working to get some of these unique expressions that we have access to for the U.S. side of things out farther afield. We are working on that behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. We're not there yet. Pricing gets difficult. The bottling, the shipping, blah, blah, blah. Just, well, just, but it, it is on our radar. Just think about the tariffs on American whiskeys going over to Europe right now. If we did bottle yeah. some Westlands for Europe, it would have a 25% premium on it, right? So there's there there are various reasons why it's going to take us a while to mirror as best we can what we do in the US to what we do for the rest of the world. But like, you know, Jason, like you had said, it, it it's something that we constantly think about, we constantly work on. We'll get there. It's just going to take us a bit of time. Yep, yep. And as we've been doing all summer long, we continue to talk about ROW number three, UK Rest of World release number three. And it is very, 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 very close to How going close? live. Very <laughs> times four or even five. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, soon we will be hearing from Jess about that. I know I said that way in the beginning of the summer, and some smart people have reached out to say, whatever happened to that plan? Well, it's <laughs> still a plan. It's just we're not quite there yet. But, but you hear from Jess in this episode, and maybe you hear from Jess again in the next episode. Yeah. And what a world it will be. Speaking of hearing from people, we've heard recently from some listeners, and I have some emails that I want to bring to uh, to your attention and to the attention of our listeners. So let me grab my Lovely. phone. So the first email we got was, it's another mm. one from Dr. Matt Bishop. He seems to be on a tear mm. recently with uh, with his emails to us. And the, the subject reads, why are barrel picks so awesome? And then a uh, parenthetical comment. 
<laughs> a parenthetical comment says, when reading awesome, please use Bruce Russell's fantastic accent. Now, now that note was just for me, but I'm not good at doing the Southern accent. Can you try it, Jason? You know, living no, in the South? No. Give it a go, Jason. Nope. We've... We've nope. We've already offended so many people in this episode. We are not going to take on the South. They may very well rise again. So well, that's yeah, that's true. Okay. So the email begins, dear Joshon and Joshua. <laughs> He's clearly having too much fun. I knew it would be. I knew it wouldn't be too long before I put fingertips to keyboard to draft another email to my favorite podcast presenters. And after listening to this week's adventure with Bruce Russell of Wild Turkey, a question came to mind. I, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going to have a tough time reading this next line. Uh, where, where Dr. Matt says, I was going to re-listen to the wonderfully long and thoughtful interview... <laughs> But in the time taken to listen to the first broadcast, my teenage kids have grown up, gone to university, left home, so I'll go from memory. <laughs> it was on the longer side. There's no getting away from that, no, but, you know, true. enjoy it at your own pace. Exactly. Hashtag enjoy responsibly. Yep, I've heard that many times. And he goes on, <laughs> here's the thought. Single Cast Nation and other independent bottlers grow their businesses by offering customers a chance to buy one-off cask bottlings. These may be classic examples of a distillery style or variations on a theme to showcase how the spirit may mature. Now, when listening to Bruce, he spoke of these, quote, awesome, I don't know how he says awesome, but a southern, southern twang awesome barrel picks. Um, from his and other distilleries that were so different, so special, so crazy, and so fantastic. And so my question is, why are these barrels so special? Or in the classic Scottish phrase, how? (laughs) 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 How are these so special? Uh, Here in Scotland, the common practice is to reuse and reassemble barrels so there is likely to be more variation in the wood, but in the U.S., it is virgin oak barrels made by these tens, if not hundreds of thousands, of the same, to the same specification. Surely someone could examine the wood from these crazy barrel picks to see what's going on, and if it isn't the wood, then something strange is going on. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on this. I will retire in about 10 years or so, I, sorry, I will retire in about 10 years, so I should be able to listen to at least a couple more complete episodes by then and hear for a response. If not, I'm sure the care home staff will let me listen when they are not playing bingo. Your avid listener, Dr. Matt. <laughs> well... I think there was a message came through loud and clear there. <laughs> yeah, three and a half hour episodes. <laughs> Maybe it shouldn't become de rigueur. Oh yeah, they, yeah. These these. Uh, I I, th- I think he I think he was happy. I think there were people who who planned their they planned their their vacation days around months. this. <laughs> their vacation months around this. Hmm. Um, but it's it's a solid yeah. question, yeah. right? Is 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 what's going on here. And I know that you and I talk about it in such a way as to say we're looking for for the off-brand moment. We're we're looking for the wild turkey cask that 
says rejected on it in chalk. That's that's our goal there. But I also think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Joshua, mm-hmm. but I think so much of American whiskey is built on small batch or batch or vatting, bringing together so many casks at a certain age for a certain profile. Even all of those four roses that break down according to, you know, their their different letters for Mm -hmm. for casking and yeast and, and all that malarkey, it's still a bringing together of a number of things. And I think of a store pick having access to a single cask just by its very nature will give a different interpretation of that distillery style, that house vatting. I'm trying not to use the word blend, yeah. but a blend of the same casks as as Dr. Matt alludes to in his email there. And so I, I think for me, to my eyes, that's where the excitement lies with the cask picks and, and the independent bottling side is you are just getting that singular moment in time. It's not meeting anything else. You you get an unadorned uh, opportunity to access a certain distillery. Yeah, I, I, I look at it slight, well, similarly, but I, I guess I want to expand on it a little bit. And I, I want to focus on the fact that whether it's New Chard Oak through American distilleries or used oak through Scotch whiskey distilleries, I think there's far more variation from cask to cask to cask than than most people know. And whether you're Wild Turkey or you are Kilhoman or Laphroaig or Ben Riach or, you know, insert your distillery here, you have your particular product, whether it's age stated or not, that must maintain a very specific flavor profile. And your blending team says, or your marketing team will also lean on you and say, this is how we want people to know our distillery. Right? And the, and and that's the story we tell. But if you were to go to whatever distillery's batch it is, like let's say it's the Laphroaig 10-year-old, and you taste through the 200 cat. I'm just pulling a number from the sky, right? 200 casks that made up that whiskey, all of them are going to be a variation, but together, and this is where a master blender is a true artist, together that master blender can figure out how to create his or her whiskey and that's their job to always put forth this is how we taste but just by the sheer nature of you pulling out that one cask like you said right taking a moment in time that one cask it's always going to be different from that other release sometimes different is better sometimes different could be worse but different is always different and should leave an impression on you and and so I, I I think it's I think it's that I think it is that that hyper you know zooming in to to the to the micro level, and 
let me. Let but also, yeah, go ahead. Because well, I think this speaks to what you're getting at here. Take take an example with our dear friend Gene Charnas at oh, Warehouse yeah. Liquors in Chicago. Yeah. Right. If you're going into Warehouse Liquors and you're talking to Gene and you're saying, "Hey, Gene, could you recommend a bottle to me?" And Gene talks to you or gets to know your buying habits or what have you, and Gene makes a recommendation. When Gene then makes his wild turkey picks or mm-hmm. or his Lafroig picks as he has done, right? You're now getting a peek into the chap who runs the store from whom you take recommendations on your buying. Yeah. And I think that's exciting. And and as much as we love Eddie Russell and Bruce Russell and, and Jimmy, who we haven't really had too much chance to talk to, but as as much as we love the Russells and what mm. they're putting out under the Wild Turkey brand name, it's also good when members of the nation get to taste Jason and Joshua's interpretation of Wild mm-hmm. Turkey or David Jennings's interpretation or Gene Charnasy's interpretation. And I think I think that adds a, a layer of excitement to it. Yeah. And, and the same yeah. is true of UK stores that are doing these picks in, in UK, you know, US, Europe, you know. I just think it's for those who want to geek out and nerd out, it's a chance to go a little farther down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And I think we're, we're all of a type. Anybody who would listen to a three and a half hour podcast put out by, you know, Jason and Joshua um, are pretty far into the rabbit hole and they understand what we're talking about with these store picks. Yeah. I, I really like what you said there, right? We're, whether whether it's our pick or our bottling or someone else's bottling or a store pick, you're getting to understand that distillery or experience that distillery through the lens of someone else's palate. And and right, and this is this is what draws me to certain bottlers, because then I find out whose palate my own palate aligns with, right? That's why, you know, I I will buy a Caddenheads sight unseen. I will buy a Watt whiskey sight unseen, and, and and a few others. I will do that because I know that I'm going to like what those people bottled. So th- so there is that nice aspect of it. So so yeah. So it's always going to be different. Sometimes better, maybe not. Doesn't mean it's not. Doesn't mean when it's not a better whiskey, it doesn't mean it's a bad whiskey. It just means it likely doesn't fit your palate. Maybe it'll fit someone else's palate. Yeah, I, I like I like your statement that different is simply different. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, and, and you and I have even said this to people, you know, when they've said, oh, I like your single cask more than the distillery's output. It's like, it's all the distillery's output, right? If you say, oh, I like your wild turkey more than the Russell's wild turkey, it, it's all the Russell's yeah. wild turkey, right? <laughs> yeah, so, so what you're saying is you like wild turkey. Okay, got it. Right, <laughs> right. And so I, I think it's worth keeping that in mind, that you're not necessarily dealing with better or worse, you're dealing with different. And different's exciting yeah. and potentially awesome in the accent of Bruce Russell. I can't do it we actually have a couple of other emails one of which I'm going to read here the other came from Ian Bruce uh, who who you may remember he he wrote in with a Facebook message he sent in an article that I think will make for a really good extra extra so I'm going to pause on that one I'm going to hold that one to the side 
but we got an email cool. from uh, our beloved James Foster. Yay! I just saw him at the hundredth meeting on the Palouse, and we <laughs> hugged, and it was lovely. Did he? Did he hug you like you meant it? He always does. Okay, good, 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 good. And the the email headline reads Mezcal. Ah. ah. And so James says, I never thought to ask this, but in your latest podcast, you mentioned how someone asked you for mezcal suggestions. So, dot, 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 you know my palate, and that I'm not <laughs> adverse to outliers, and you know how Idaho liquor stores make it much harder to get good stuff. So, what would you suggest for me? Now, I understand he's kind of reaching it. There's a bit more to the email, but I just want to insert this here. I understand that he's asking us this question more personally, but I think that there are a lot of people out there within the whiskey world that are hearing more and more about mezcal and are looking for a place yeah. to start. So, so Absolutely. I, right? So anyway, so that's why I bring it. But I'm going to continue. I'm going to read yeah. the rest of no, his I think email. You're, I think you're right to use it. By the way... I had a very interesting rum lately. He had a typo in that in that sentence, but I'm not going to read it aloud. I'm not going to shame him. It changed completely. <laughs> Straight versus in ice versus with coconut water versus with ginger beer. It is amazingly protein. It's Claren San Claren Saju from Saint <laughs> Saint Michael de Latale. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, were you an extra in the Disney cartoon of Beauty and the Beast? <laughs> wow. you know, that is an interesting French accent you have that comes and goes. <laughs> it just be our guest, be our guest. <laughs> it reminds me of that scene in Inglorious Bastards when they go to the movie theater and it's uh, Bridget von, Hammersch von Hammerschmark and Brad Pitt and the guy who played... Uh, uh, Sounds more like Blazing Saddles. Like something to Coco, something to Coco. And the other one was something Iannucci or something. And Brad Pitt's character was Enzo Gorlami. And, <laughs> and the, you know, the, the, the Jew hunter, what was his name? Um, the, you know, the, the bad <laughs> German guy who's asking them their name says, and your name. And Brad Pitt says, Gorlami. Say it again. Gorlami. Anyway, yes, my, my French is terrible. I assume I was speaking French. I don't know. Anyway, so, so it's a Clarin Sejou from St. Michael de Latale. And it says, spontaneous fermentation. I'll attach a pick to the label. So... Uh, I apologize to to any French speakers out there because I destroyed your language, but but let, let's start off with with James. I think you know his palate a bit more than I do. So, what would you suggest to him? And then, by extension, you know, anybody who is getting into whiskey like just yeah. for the first time, and they would say, you know, what 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 should we try? And, you know, the go-to yeah. is Balveni Doublewood. And if you want to try something smoky, you know, you know, maybe, you know, you mentioned a Beaumore or something like that, this kind of like stepping stone into a category. And so what would you suggest to James? And then what would you suggest to someone who's just interested in dipping a toe into mezcal? 
there's so many entry points here. And I even think there's a difference between are you going to be sipping or are you even going to be cocktailing? Ooh, interesting. And if you're if you're cocktailing, and I know we mentioned it a couple of episodes ago and, and there was some really good feedback about it, but the uh, the old Gringroni that, that Jason makes in the summer <laughs> months. Yeah. Um, when I first started making that, it was it was Vida. It was Delmagay Vida. So Delmagay is the producer and the bottling name yep. is called Vida. Okay. Yep. Right. And, and for me in Virginia, where we are state-owned liquor stores, just like in Idaho, I could pick that up for $35 a bottle before mm. tax. As you're giving these kind of scotch examples about how to dip in your toe, you're not looking to spend a lot of money. Okay. You're looking to spend a little bit of money. You're looking to see if the general category is for you. And I think Vida does a nice job of representing that general category. You could also argue Dale McGay was the beginning of this category in the United States. You know? Yeah, as, as far as it gaining a foothold and showing people that it's not the rot gut with the worm. Exactly, right? yeah. exactly. And so, so I, I would still... I wouldn't want to be so much of a snob that I turn my nose up at what Vida offers, mm. even though it's a dipping the toe mezcal, and there's a ton of places to go after that. Yeah. Yeah. I will throw in that that when you hear Idaho and you hear, well, A, you hear Idaho, but then you hear state-controlled liquor stores, gosh, what kind of mezcal are they going to have? Our dear friend, Andrew Miller, the champagne of people, <laughs> actually yeah. purchased end-of-line mezcal for me in Idaho. And just as we were mentioning earlier, got it to me by hook or by crook. Hmm. But it's an El Jonglorio. <laughs> That's not how you pronounce the name, but we'll leave that in there. Um, El, how, how would you pronounce it? I think it's El Jogorio. See, now yours sounds too much like glory hole. <laughs> you know I'm leaving all this in. It's El Hogorio. Yeah, it's El Hogorio. El Hogorio. El Hogorio. Yeah. El Hogorio? Yeah. It's El Hogorio. <laughs> no, it's, it's not El Hogorio hole. It's El Hogorio. Hogorio. <laughs> Holgorio. As I said, I have, sp- <laughs> I have spoken. And it's the uh, Tobasichi. <laughs> it's the Tobasichi. And uh, yeah, very small. 2014 harvest. Uh, bottle number four, 161 of 460. But, this, yeah, this was an end of line thing in, in the state of Idaho. Um, but, you're not, last year. but you're not suggesting to people. To go out and get a L. Yes, I. Yes, I am. But, yes, I am. Okay. Yes, I am because. But okay. Because okay. Because yeah. Go if on. we're gonna say dip, <laughs> I, I will. Just go ahead. Let me fix my mic. If go we're ahead. gonna say, I am go and get your Vida at yep. thirty-five. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There. Are other ways to spend one's money mm-hmm. in mezcal, and if Vida is going to be a lovely dipping of the toe, 
and that's going to give you access to to espadine mm -hmm. why not then see another part of the spectrum begin to open the door on other varietals and and tobasiche is very accessible as a varietal but it's also very interesting and i think starts to show what's worth exploring in the wider mezcal category and i will say this was picked up for somewhere around 70 dollars in the state of idaho and that is and that's where i have a bit of an issue because anywhere else el Hogorio mezcals which i'm about to pour some myself they're never that cheap, especially when you get into the more unusual agaves like Tobiziche. Like this brand typically runs north of $90 and quite often into the lower 100s. And so while I agree with you, people should look at other types of agave. I My concern is that when you go with, if you're trying to introduce someone we shouldn't be introducing them with a high-ticket item. You can find Tobiziche so, for a lesser price. So let me tell you the mistake I made yeah. when Just I one. was getting into Mezcal. Okay. I, I look back over these 47 years, and I have identified this one. So <laughs> I, I, I did it a little bit like getting into Scotch, where I thought, okay, if Scotch is malted barley and we're going to explore single malts mm -hmm. i'm going to go producer by producer by producer and i'm going to get the general lay of the land and when it came to mezcal i came out and i bought espadine 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 from different producers okay and i wanted to see okay now what's happening with espadine from this producer what's happening with espadine from this producer and I feel like I delayed exploring varietals too long. And so in giving this to, to, to James, in giving this to the wider listenership, I'm saying go for a standard, going to win you over every single time, $35 Vida Espadine, but then go and spend a bit of money, right? Even if you're just dipping your toe. Spend a bit of money on a different varietal and put that different varietal from a different producer next to the Espadine from Vida. And immediately you'll see the range that this category has to offer. And I think you'll be excited by this category and what this category has to offer. I don't disagree with you. I would just <laughs> suggest... That between Vida and between an El Hogorio, there's a wide spectrum that people can explore. But just just looking at price points. 100%. 100%. And then, on, and then on top of that, we can't turn our eyes away from the ensembles, which in my opinion can often be even better than the single varietals. Think of Papa Diablo, right? That That is our go-to. That That is just magic, magic. Well, we used to say magic in a glass. Now we say magic in a hikara. But um, so, yeah. So 
so let's back up a little bit. We went down a bit of a rabbit hole here. Let's get back to give James one or two mescals just for him dipping in his toe and then give us some, you know, the equivalent of Balvenie double wood, right? The equivalent of Wild Turkey 101 or something like that for people who want to dip their toe into mezcal. But I think when it comes to to mezcal, you're better off saying, you work out how much money you want to spend, but take a look at Ray Campero. Take a look at... Um, Oh gosh, no, Nostra Soledad. What's the first word? Uh, it's in front Nostradamus. Of it was Nostradamus. <laughs> he he prophesied a good number of things. <laughs> There's also a brand called Koch, K O C H. Yeah, which they've got some some good. Yeah, right. A weird German name. So okay, right? let me. We you're taking us down this rabbit hole again, and I'm trying to get you to not do this. Hi. I love whiskey. I have a $50 bill in my hand that I'm willing to spend. I trust your palate, Jason. What mezcal should I get? I'm in a shop. What one should I get? Del Maguey Vida, because you're going to find it in virtually every shop you're standing in with that $50 note in your hand. Okay, so that is for everybody. Knowing James's palate, would you suggest the same? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Here we go. That was like 20 minutes of just like, all he needed was, was, all he needed was five words from you, and we got 20 minutes out of the deal. <laughs> but, 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 he also said, you know my palate, and you know I'm in Idaho, right? And so here's a bottle that I got in Idaho yeah. for a really good price that I think James should buy, if he can find it. And Andrew Miller and I might have cleared out the last of the stuff, mm-hmm. the last of the bottles in the state. So I'll I'll give you what my my suggestion is, but before I do, really quickly, I need to tell you this. You said, but 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 but, and I just hope that someone out there uh, is also a Metallica fan and realize that was the uh, the the same cadence as James Hetfield sings in. Uh, Oh shit! What's the name of the song? Fuck! God damn it! Is when he goes do unto others as they've done to you. But 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 but. I love it when but, every one but, of your stories but, but, misses but, the punchline. Uh, <laughs> like every single one. That's because I'm the punchline with my stories. Anyway, that was that was that movie. What was it called? That's that. That was that character. What was his name? That was that song. What was the name of that song? <laughs> But we're not allowed to call ourselves old. Let's remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, Papa Diablo is awesome. But I think the reason we recommend it to everybody is we actually remember its name every time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's Papa Diablo Ensemble. Like, boom, done, dusted. Move on to the next (laughs) thing. (laughs) My suggestion is it's a bit smokier than yours, but there's a massive amount of fruit. Uh, lying beneath that smoke, and it's it's the standard Fidencio uh, Hoven classic Classico, right? So mm-hmm. you, you'll just see mm-hmm. it'll say Classico, it might say Hoven Classico, but it's about thirty thirty five dollars, forty at the most, and uh, it's just wonderful tropical fruits with this lovely sort of ashy smoke on top, 
And I think it's a great sipper. And I also think it's a great cocktail component as well. And, and right, 30, 35 bucks, you're really not too much out of pocket. Let me ask you a question since we're here. And this, this episode's feeling a little short. Um, Espadine is where virtually everybody cuts their teeth. It's like cutting your teeth on a space cider, right? Yeah. Obviously, yeah. there are those like yourself who are introduced to scotch through Lagavulin, and maybe yeah. you come to Mezcal from some something crazy, right? Kawa. I, I came, you know how I came to Mescal really quickly? It was Andrew Friedman from Liberty Bar. Mm-hmm. I went Me out too. there 2010, we weren't on the same. Yeah, we weren't on the same trip yeah, it and it's the same person. <laughs> different trip. I was with my sister at the bar and he had mm. poured me some Del Maguey Tobala. Mm. And, and it was just, it was magical, right? It was, it was like... It was like hearing the kinks for the first time or hearing this band that was doing something that no one else was doing for the first time and you're just in awe. And so it was Andrew Friedman that, that that's funny, sent us both. Well, he tried sending you down the rabbit yeah, hole. I didn't go down the same path right away. But no, I, and I, I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't even remember what he poured for me. I just remember we were talking Talisker and he said, hold that thought. And he went away and poured a mezcal and I don't remember what it was. And I was like, okay. Smells like hangover. Okay. Um, so here's my question to you. Yeah. Is Espadine, mm-hmm. as, a, as a varietal of agave, simply an intro to mezcal that leads one off to the other varietals? Or do you think Espadine can also be a destination? Yes. I think it could be an intro. I think it could be part of the journey. And I think it could be the destination. Because it's not just the agave. It's also the roasting. It's the fermentation. It's how they're distilling. What are they distilling in? There, there's so much more that goes into it than just the agave, just like with whiskey, right? What, what kind of yeast are they using? What does their fermentation look like? How fast or slow is their distillation? You know, all these things play a part into what that final spirit character can turn into. And I just think that Espadine, it's a cultivated agave, so so there's more of it available. And it allows producers, you know, it's I wouldn't call it a blank canvas. It's not a blank canvas, but it's something that can take on a good number of flavors because there's other variables to help it through to the final product. So give me one Espadine mm-hmm. that you would reach for, that you would say, this is the one on my shelf that I am pouring over Mexicano or Americano or Tobasiche. Yeah. Uh, Madraquiche, you know. Madre I, I would. It, it, you know, I'm going to go back to Fidencio. I think the Del Amigo Distillery or Palenque does such a wonderful job and they had a release that was called Terra Blanca and what made oh I have right? that yeah you have yeah, that yeah, you I, bought, me a bottle. I bought you that bottle that's but fantastic it's a gorgeous Espadine right pricey but what makes it so unusual is that it didn't grow in normal dirt it grew in white clay so Indeed. it affected the plant differently it's very similar to the the Centenidos bottling 
the uh, the cuisse de mojo, the cuisse that had the mold on it, right? And so it ended up giving you different flavors, right? And there's another variable, just like with wine, right? What what sort of soil are those grapes growing in? What kind of soil is the agave growing in? It it all helps to tell the story of that final product. And I think the Terra Blanca, if people can find it, is such a, a lovely... It, it, it's such a lovely presentation of Espadin and kind of like what independent bottlers do for distilleries you know and love. It gives you a different picture of that agave just through a, a slightly different lens. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great bottling. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And I'll say, I'm, I'm sitting here drinking this Dobasici. It's absolutely fantastic. So I actually poured a, 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 a Ray Camparo Habali, which I've oh, started nice. loving now that I have this Hikara from David Feldner. So cheers again, David. Yeah, cheers, David. These are fantastic. I do find myself drinking mezcal much faster from these. Much before, faster. Uh, before the gourd can uh, absorb some of my pour. Yeah. yeah. So, so again, we, we, we have... Another email, but it looks like that will become an extra extra. But we're also running out of out of time here. What I want, but we should probably wrap it up if we're going to give Matt Bishop time to see his children grow up. That's a good point. Oh, I wonder how his grandkids are doing. <laughs> I hope they're well. I hope they're well. <laughs> Listen, if 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 you or or anybody wants to reach out to us to send us an email, please like Dr. Matt did, like Ian Bruce did, like uh, the good James Foster did, you can email us questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. You can always send us a Facebook message. Uh, just go to your Facebook search bar and look for One Nation Under Whiskey and drop us a line there. You can reach out to us through One Nation Under Whiskey Instagram. We are at One Nation Under Whiskey. You can also tweet at us. We're at One Nation Whiskey on Twitter. Whiskey, regardless of which platform you're on, will always be spelled without the E whenever it comes to anything single cast nation. The last thing... I thought you were going to say regardless of which planet you're on. Oh, man. I wasn't, but now I want to. Sorry, I was just off pouring some Terra Blanca there. All your talk about it got me pouring it. (laughs) Uh, The last thing that I wanted to say is we were starting to get some more stars on our Apple podcast, right? Uh, nice. If you wanted to leave, they, some... they keep coming in one at a time. One but we're, time. Getting we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> one star at a time. Soon we'll have five. No. <laughs> uh, if you want to leave us a comment there, or leave you know some sort of praise. We love we love praise. Uh, please go ahead and do that, and we will read. You, you that. do. I'm, I'm you a, I'm a Scottish praise. lowlander. No, no, you, no I, Jason, you... I prefer the birch. I feel more at home with the birch. I've praised you before, and I saw your eyes light up. Mm. That one time I praised you. That your was eyes. embarrassment. I, I didn't know where to look. <laughs> uh, yeah, please, please do leave some comments, because we'd love to read them uh, aloud here on the podcast. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's all I have, Jason. Do you have anything you wanted to leave our, our dear listeners with? I would just give the usual thanks to our our guests, Alex Bruce and Connell McKenzie. Mm -hmm. Thanks to you and for Jess Mm -hmm. holding down the fort. That was really, really wonderful. Thanks to Matt Bishop, Ian Bruce, who we'll cover in a future Extra Extra, and 
of course, the beloved James Foster for writing in. Thanks to you for editing. Thanks to my family for raising me. I couldn't have done it without them. You- I tell you, here, here, see, before we go out, I'm going to say this. All right. Our last Mates Movies and Malts, mm-hmm. I call it Triple M because I can't remember the order ever, with Chanel Licori, where we watched Purple Rain for the first, for the first time. time. Ever. For the first time, yeah. 47-year-old men watching Purple Rain for the first time with a super fan in, in Chanel, a.k.a. Nelly. That was such a blast. I, I'm i still thinking about that experience, and we were weeks removed from it. It was so much fun. Yeah, I obviously, you know, after, after being in conversation with her and her wearing the print shirt... And, you know, we had said, oh, my gosh, we need to watch this with her. I hadn't even thought about the possibility that there would be nudity in that film, that, you know, it's an 80s film and women are treated horribly. Like, she didn't know that we hadn't seen the film, but she was really cool about it. I just, like, I look There back. were a few times we just kind of took our eyes off the screen and talked about some other things, but... <laughs> yeah, I just, I feel a little bad. I feel a little bad. Um, About what? Well, it was, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It just felt weird, like, like, because she had thought that we had seen the movie. And I think it's a weird yeah. movie to say to someone, let's watch this together. And there's boobies all over the place <laughs> and sex scenes. But they weren't and, all over the, see, see, this is the funny thing to me. And I've always said this. In my experience of, yeah. of being in the United States, yeah. where it, it strikes me that there's there's no violence that won't be shown in the middle of the afternoon. Yes. But when it comes to sex, like, oof, easy there, let's pump the brakes, slow thing. it We're down. We're so prudish. We really are so prudish right? when it comes to that. And, and grow, growing up, for us in the UK, we are more prudish than continental Europeans, but the BBC would sometimes show an art house movie on a Saturday night and a little bit of black and white movie making. Yeah. That could be very rewarding. Very rewarding. <laughs> and so, so so growing up for us, the sex side of things wasn't as off putting. And so in watching Purple Rain with the two of you, like, yeah, there's half a scene where you're kinda of like Oh, his hand has gone there. Okay. I, it, it wasn't I didn't just think there was anything. It wasn't just really, that. There was it, was, it was the, it was the bad guy in, in, his, in his cronies, you know, taking a woman and tossing her into a, a that dumpster. Was, that was deeply problematic. But as far as this, the quote-unquote sex scenes went... See, you're talking to someone who, like many other Americans, especially American males... You know, the only way as a child you could gain access to, to something that resembled a booby without having Cinemax or without knowing how to access the Playboy channel is having a subscription to, to National Geographic magazine, right? Mm-hmm. It was like mm-hmm. the only way you could understand it was through tribes people. Right through uh-huh. an artistic, uh, absolutely, yeah. right, and absolutely. and then beyond that, it was oof. We're not looking at that. Yeah, ours yeah. was through the French or the Germans. That was mm. that was our point of access. Yeah. Yep. Or 
or the Sun newspaper, Total Rag with Ooh, the page, page three, three girls, yeah. Yeah. right? There Which deeply, deeply problematic. But that's for us in the eighties, where you would see a boob or two. Yeah, they often come in pairs. I've noticed. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a biologist, but, but I've noticed pairs because we have listeners on other planets. They may come in threes. If if a listener on another planet wanted to partake in our triple M with Chanel, how would they go about doing it? And I ask that as somebody who doesn't know how to access it. <laughs> if someone wanted to start listening to Mates Movies and Malts, which is three M, that that's that is the thing, Mates Movies and Malts, uh, you can find the podcast. Now this is one of those Patreon podcasts, right? So you've got a, I think it's basically three dollars a month. Right, So we release an episode once per month. We focus on a movie, and the listener gets the opportunity. That, well, they should either own the movie or stream it you know, somewhere. And you, you press play on the movie when we tell you to press play, and we, we're all watching it together, and we're all talking about the movie together. Right, that's, that's the premise. You get to sit down and have a drink with us and, and enjoy the the podcast with us. So if you if you're interested in doing that, you can go to Patreon p a t r o n dot podbean dot com slash mates movies malts. Excellent. So Patreon dot podbean dot com forward slash mates movies and malts. And what is it? The the eighth month so we have eight episodes so far and we'll have four more to go before yeah. the year is out so there you go yeah yeah t- ton- tons of fun with nelly i just think that one was so much fun and, yeah. and i think heightened by the fact that we hadn't seen the movie before yeah. oh together. yeah yeah it was it, it was great seeing prince too he was just awesome in that movie well and the, the other thing i would say for anybody throwing three bucks at that you know you're not going to get shortchanged you know you're going to get more minutes than you know what to do with for three bucks. That's very true. That yes, <laughs> that is very. This, this is a a Joshua and Jason, Jason and Joshua podcast. So you're gonna like Doctor Matt. And, you know, you, you and you can, too can see where Prince puts his hands. <laughs> All right, Jason. Uh, it has been real. It's been really real. It has. It's been lovely spending time with you, and lovely as always spending time with the listeners. Cheers. To all. Cheers to all. And Lachaim. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. Lachaim. <laughs> it's Lachaim. Lachaim. It's, it's a pandemic, though. You don't want to project that oh, too far. Oh, you know what? It, Let yes. me get my mask. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm I'm an expert editor, so if you want to go and grab that uh, earbud, <coughs> go ahead. The, the listeners will never know, except in an Easter egg that I deliver at the end of this episode. <laughs> right. I just, it's on the other side of the room. Or also the bit where my doorbell just rang, yeah. Even though I've got a notice that says recording, please do not ring doorbell. <laughs> but now that, that delivery person has left his or her mark on this podcast. <laughs> In the form of a ding-dong. Ding-dong. <laughs>